Howard from the Pedromo Cigar Studios on uh, Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting outside in Brisbane, Australia. It's episode 104 of the Primetime Jukebox. Tonight, it's another album archaeology as we take a look at George Michael's debut solo album, Faith. And as always, the Primetime Jukebox is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20 Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20 Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and a will age for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20 Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combine these beautifully bourbon barrels wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos because each blend of balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigar is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Bono Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Promo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And of course, by JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the Golden Age, it's because Cuba's leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds, and in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, Julio and Husto bring their very own brand to market, and each contain that authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Candela each representing the Golden Age Scars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And of course, we want to mention Tobacco Era USA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo and Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco Era USA, great things are happening here. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black Scars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, awfully tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebration and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows, as well as the California Studios for the Thursday Primetime Show, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Jukebox, episode 104. This is a mid-July edition of the Jukebox. This is Will Cooper here in the Pedro Scott Studios on the Black Stage. And I'm joined on the other end of the world by my good friend and colleague in Australia, Mr. Dave Burke. Hello. Welcome back, Coop, from the yeah. show. Yes. Um, you know, Media Compound. Back among us. Another, another year in the books. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it was another year in the books. Um, we were actually debating doing a like a like a call to you from the compound. Things didn't work out. Oh, because uh, of schedules and stuff. Yeah, we were gonna, but but I did send Dave a selfie with me and Skip Martin. You did. You did. I got it's, that. Was that on the show floor or where yeah, was that? That was on the show floor after he told me I don't have enough joy in my life. <laughs> wow. Skip told you that. Well, I mean, he, you know, it's Skip. <laughs> Man. Um, no, it looked great. Uh, media compound. I saw the Cracker Jacks at the media compound, which is nice. Yep. The Cracker Jacks were popular. I mean, uh, we uh, look, they, um, we watched the All Star Game and we were eating bags of Cracker Jacks during the All Star Game. So, oh yeah, uh, uh, so it was a lot of fun this year. We were we were minus a couple of guys that uh, they had things they had to take care of at home, um, and you know that was the right thing. So, but it was still a great compound this year. Oh, good and uh, yeah. So then, I'm expecting. So, you, will you have another? panel show coming up kind of recapping or so yeah loomis does the panel show uh he's mm -hmm. kind of always owned that on developing pallets that was kind of our agreement so i'll be a part of that on the uh, right if you're watching this live on monday night right after the show airs we will be going on with aaron so oh, nice <laughs> so yeah this will premiere at eight we go on with aaron around nine so you will get to see that panel show. And if you're not, it will be, you know, Aaron will have it on, on all the developing panel, the developing palette stuff. So you can mm. check that out. But yes. Uh, and there's a potpourri of guests coming on uh, from the manufacturing and retail. end. I know Abe's coming on mm. the Babna soccer is coming on. Pete Johnson's going to be on. It's a big panel. Aaron's put together this year. Wow. So yeah, well, I'll be excited to, I'm excited to hear about what, if I get a word in, I'll be, Surprised. <laughs> I'll be. I'm excited to hear what cigars people are excited about and things like that. So I'll yeah, you know, I'll, I'll kind of say this, and I'm being really honest, and this may not make people. Honest. This was not a great year for cigars at the show. I'm gonna be very right. honest. I'm not saying there were dog rockets, right? But there were there were a couple that have stood out. But for the most part, I'd say you can't have a big year every year. This was not one of no. the bigger years, is what I'm gonna tell you. So. Um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, they have the next trade show in just eight months. So I think that, you know, oh, yeah. some stuff probably was held back and, you know, it's, it's hard to keep releasing new stuff every year. So it, it's, it's going to mm. happen. Every trade show can't be spectacular in terms of the releases. This one, I'm not saying it was a dud. It was, well, I'll say this. It was definitely one of the weakest ones I've been to, but there were All some right. cigars I had, but in terms Ooh. of the 13 PCAs, I'll be honest, this one ranked 13th in terms of excitement around the products. I, wow. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah, yeah, I ain't gonna lie. But there was some there Wow. Was, like there was some cigars I had that like um, you know, I just I smoked this this morning at KMA. It's a Cinco de Cinco by uh Hoyt and All right. really good. So it was a good cigar that came out. Um La Roba de Cuba's Connecticut's fantastic. I mean, our team, I think that was our cigar of the show. Mm. So I mean there were some. I'm just saying overall it was kind of flat this year, I think, for me. Mm, well, yeah. I'll I'll hear the I'll listen to the panel. See, because I guess it's hard because like all these cigars sort of leak ahead of time, like the the Volstead, for example. Like Skip rarely comes out with a new cigar. Yeah, you, so that's exciting. But then it's like, well, that's you kind of heard about that three weeks before the show. So, well, he actually released really... he actually released that pre-release 
which yeah. was not as good as the full release, is what I'll tell you. Well, it's it a was different. It's a different blend, isn't it? Yeah, but the, yeah. especially I think the rapper is what's really the big difference. Uh, and look, I I was honest with Skip. I said, Skip, I don't like Sumatra, and Skip goes, I don't like Sumatra either. He goes, the difference <laughs> is mine ain't gonna suck, and it didn't suck. It was actually pretty good. But <laughs> is it my favorite? Because Sumatra is like my least favorite rapper. I'm gonna be completely transparent on this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um. So and there was a lot of Sumatra at the show. <laughs> was there? Yeah. Was it year of the Sumatra? Yeah, it was year of the Sumatra. There was some high profile Connecticut's I think that came out. Um, but I think there was more. I think the the Connecticut's were more high profile, but there was more quantity in terms of Sumatra. It seemed like. Mm. So mm. depending how like like there was some big Connecticut's that came out this year. Like HVC has has their yep. first Connecticut. I just mentioned um the La Roma de Cuba. So there was some big name Connecticut's that were out there. Um, you know, it depends how excited you know. But the Sumatra yeah. didn't get me as excited. So. Ooh. Well, no. Well, hey, tune into the panel, people. You can yep. hear all this fire. Yeah. So if you're tuning in, if you're watching this live, it's going to be on right after this. If you already are watching this, um, you might have already seen it. Or if not, just go to Developing Palettes. They'll have it out there on YouTube, Facebook, and all those fun channels. Um, no, it's so, um, that's good. So I got I got some music news. Yes, I uh, With- I was a little behind on music news. So. The, uh, well, it's not a ton of music news to be honest, right, but right. um, so if you, as always, if you have anything, you can email cigarjukebox at gmail dot com and let us know stuff you want to cover, stuff if you want to review, stuff you like on the site, things like that. Uh, Taylor Swift released "Speak Now" Taylor's version, which is just like destroying everything. Yeah, Dave had the review up like. <laughs> Very quick. <laughs> I had to listen to the record. I put a review up on the site of the record. Um, I feel that instead of just doing like a track, it's better to do the record because people are pretty familiar with the record. So I agree. A lot of the review is like, "What's different? You know, what's what? Why is it different? Like, what's that like?" I think Coop. This is the most different of the Taylor versions thus far. Like, you it, can notice the difference a lot more. Interesting. Than the others, and maybe because this she's going back to like earlier in her career, so there's like a bigger gap. So maybe you can note, maybe you can notice more. Um, yep, I get the fit, but uh, but yeah, but like I said, so this is so right now we've sort of almost filled out the pre 1989 era, like we only have to get to her self titled debut album, right. Um, which most Swifties aren't big fans of Coops. I don't know if she's going to do that one, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I could see that being last of the set. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then try People to are hopeful. Them. People are hopeful 1989 is next. That's the hope. Yeah. Because that'll sell like a bazillion copies. True. Um. So, yeah, so so it's all about it's just, it's just Taylor Swift's world and we're living in it at the moment because she's selling out concerts all over. She released a record. It's all Taylor Swift all the time right now. You're right, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's out. I have a review on that. Uh, Elton John's final concert was like a couple weeks ago. Or what he yeah. says is his final concert. Yeah, I mean, um, as I saw that, I just immediately wondered how long that will last. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 
Jody Mitchell just recently had a concert. So if Jody Mitchell can have a concert, Elton John can come back and have a concert. Um, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just I read I read that um, end of an era, really. Like you got to think of how long he's been playing. I mean, that was almost a billion dollar tour that he did. Oh, jeez! In terms of what it did, um, but I don't think he's retiring. No, I think he just stops touring. Touring. So, but I, you know, I see Elton's this not lasting. Yeah, I I am going to predict, and then he'll take a year off. But I'm telling you, in the next two to three years. Elton John will do some. I don't think he'll look. I'm not saying he's going to tour forever again, but I think he will do some some one offs, whether it's yeah. a, a cause or something like that. I I can't see him not performing live. No, you think so, right? Um, but yeah, but so that I mean, that's kind of like I said, that's sort of major news. Um, that he's sort of announced that anyway. I mean, what, like, yeah, what comes of it? I mean, like, how many artists have said they've stopped and then, like, come back, really? Yeah, yeah. you know, what's funny is Billy Joel, you know, um, went the opposite way. He stopped making new records and... And, and, and then started it. And he stayed, he went the live route, but um, the uh, Elton's kind of gone the opposite, right? So Billy Joel has yeah. stopped doing the new music. He really did. But mm. I just don't, I just don't, I mean, if you go down the history of how many of these guys, like, get off the road... They tend to go back on. There's a lot. First of all, there's a lot of money. And I, I don't think this is a money thing with Elton. I think Elton just loves to perform live. That's why I don't. I yeah. can't see him sitting around, uh, you know, wherever he's in England. Like, uh, yeah, like, you know, I just can't see. You know, even if it's a guest appearance, I, I, I can see him even making these guest appearances. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it might just be I'm not going to do full on. Right. You know, North American tours, I'm just going to play here and there. Agree. Agree. That's why I don't think this, if it was a money thing, if it, we'll know it's a money thing if he comes and goes for a money grab on this. But <laughs> I guess right. I, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and last but not least, this is more of an Australian story, I guess. But uh, Milk Records, which is the um, record label of Courtney Barnett that she founded, is closing. Later this year. So that's an independent record label. It's been around for about two, 10, 12 years. Maybe even more than that. She started it to produce her own yeah. EP. And then it grew into maybe they have about uh, seven, eight artists on the label now. All of her records have done really well are, are um, on that label. And uh, yeah, it's shut down, which is unfortunate. Um, she sort of talked about she doesn't live in Australia anymore, Coop. She lives in L.A., which is, you know, makes sense because she's a rock star. It's probably easier to get stuff distributed and made if you live there than instead if you live here. So she's like, well, I live in L.A. now. And, you know, she doesn't really like the administrative end of the label. It's getting more difficult to manage. And so, yeah, it's it's closing down in uh, September. He had a partner though. Another, it was like a female-run label, from what I understand. See, it was no, her but, and uh, Jen Jen Clower, I think. Jen Clower, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I thought it was an all-female label. This day. or yes, female-owned label. Yeah, owned. Yeah, and then they and they are and they are done. They are out. 
Wow. Which is too bad. So yeah, that is too bad. Um, I like some of these. I always like some of these smaller labels. And you know, the last ten years, even in this, it's still a good accomplishment. Oh yeah, no, it's it's turned out. I mean, originally she thought her and Jen were just gonna use it to release their own stuff, and it kind of grew into this thing. And no, so if you're in Australia, uh, her her she's doing a uh, Courtney Barnett is doing an instrumental record next, and that's gonna be the last release. On the label that you could so you could pre-order that now, um, which I have, <laughs> and uh, yeah, go up there get some milk records gear. Give them you know one last one last shout out before they close down and and uh, and yeah so yeah it's that's it, uh, probably bigger news here but yeah clo- closing down and Australia doesn't have a whole lot of independent labels I mean the biggest are milk and and then there's a uh, indigenous hip-hop record uh, label called right. Bad Apple that's pretty big. But other than that, I mean, there's not a ton of independent labels around, so it is bad when you see one uh, go down. Yeah, it's sad. It, no matter what, where it is, it's sad. Like, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I like some of these small labels that really have, you know, built a following over the years and built a nice stable of artists. So I had heard of Milk Records. Um, like I said, I knew I thought it was female owned. That's why I was wondering. Yeah. I knew it was Australian. So think, a, yeah, it said. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think she. I think the thing about it is like, as she gets more and more into her music and more and more away from the label, it gets harder and harder to run. Yeah. So she's sort of like, well, I can't. And then and then you're like, well, am I doing a disservice to the artists that are on it because I can't really promoting their stuff as much as I'd like because I'm busy doing all this. So is it better if they just went to another label? And So it'll be interesting to see what label she lands on. She's shopping around. So it'll be interesting to see what label she sort of lands on. If she lands on another independent or if she lands on a more mainstream label, that'll be interesting. I agree. Um, we talked PCA. You have any other, like, uh, I guess, heading into the panel, you got any other PCA nuggets Any yeah I'll, I'll observations give you a, yeah i'll give you a few um so first up the big news that really came out of the trade show it was two big things that came out of the trade show in 2025 the show is moving to new orleans uh yep. we kind of all knew that was going to happen <laughs> but kind of another thing that really flew, that the pca flew under the radar and i don't know why they didn't announce it is that starting next year the trade show is going from three and a half days to three days Right. Okay. Um, you know, and a lot of that's because that last day was very poorly attended. Um, mm. You know, I was talking with Abe about this this morning. Abe and I are in agreement. I think the problem is they just don't create a lot of excitement for that last night, right, to be at the show. Mm. So, you know, and I think that's why people go home. But but I know for media, it's going to suck. Um, people say, well, what media? It's not. Guess what? When your favorite companies are not getting coverage from us, you're going to be upset at us. So um, mm. we have talked to the PCA about potentially some earlier access than even we get now to try to mm-hmm. fix that. So we'll see what happens because um, we told them it's, a, it's you know, hey, look, coverage is going to there's nothing we can do. The coverage will go down with this. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, I mean, overall, I thought they had a, a good first day of the show. They made mm. better educational seminars. So there was a, uh, right. a Placencia, Christian Aroa, Casada mm. pre- uh, presentation called the triple threat where the three of them talked about blending. 
Then the mm-hmm. Toscano team mm-hmm. had a blending session. They showed a a, a, a rough cut of a docu docu series that's going to be released uh, with the first episode about J.C. Newman, and it was the same yes. guys that Pete Johnson used with hand roll. That was really well mm-hmm. done. So that that was good. Um, it, you know, it sucked for us. Like there were no dinners this year. Like everything was a cocktail hour. Oh. So am I really? Saying, yeah, it was like we had these cocktail hours. Everyone was doing these cocktail hours, right? Uh, I'll right. say it's Hector did. Hector did a great one, by the way. He had the best one. He had an Espinosa one for media guys. Um, mm. But the problem is, like, they had like real slices of pizza there, at least, right? Yeah, <laughs> like right. you don't get like you get these little. Uh, how can I put? Yeah. I these little like toothpick things, like, and you barely get anything to eat, and you're starving the whole day, right? So right. these cocktails. I mean, there was one I went to where Dave, this was torture, and the other guys liked it. I didn't. You couldn't smoke. You couldn't Ooh, sit. Yep. You were in a crowded room standing. You couldn't oh, smoke. Man, what? And the appetizers were deviled eggs, which I hate eggs. Oh, no. <laughs> so and the other guys liked it. I'm not going to say the company, but um, because they, I'm not trying to knock the company, but that was like torture for me. I'm like, oh, mm. man, I, I just want a hot dog. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I just want a hot dog. Why am I standing here like for deviled eggs and no cigars and. <laughs> So uh yeah, so um I'll just say a few things. I'll give you a couple of highlights on cigars and I'll talk about these over I, I won't do them all today because yeah. it's gonna take too long, right? Now you haven't even um, but a few interesting releases. Uh there's a new padrone coming out. It's called the Padrone PB ninety seven. So it's mm. um this it's that elusive padrone black label that sh- popped up from time to time as like right. a Smoke-in exclusive. It's in the CRA packs. But they're mm. doing it for the PCA. Uh, it's going to be a torpedo size. Uh, six and three quarter by 52 in both the Black Label Natural and the Black Label Maduro. So I think that's a big one. And the 97 is because this would have been Mr. Padron's 97th birthday. Mm. Um, so you could expect that. Um, crowned Heads. Did you hear about the Crowned Heads release? Uh, no, I don't All think right. so. So, yeah, they have a major release that came out uh, that they kind of saved for the eve of the trade show. And uh, I figured you'd want to hear about this. It's called La Verita. La Verita. Mm-hmm. La V-E-R-E-D-A. La Verita, I guess. I'm going to say it wrong. But um, it is designed to be the first ultra premium uh, crown head cigar. So guess what? Crown Heads right. has entered the twenty dollar arena for uh for actually this is the price from eighteen forty to twenty one eighty. Okay. Uh, um, but you know they're doing like John really talked and explained what this project. What I liked about what John did, right? And you got to give him credit. He just didn't throw an eighteen to twenty one dollar cigar out, right? This is what he he kind of explained what it is. He's saying, look, all the tobaccos in this thing, minimum age of three years. Fill, uh, the wrapper was, I think, four years, right? There's costs involved when you do that, right? It's just going to be more it. expensive You're gonna when you get that type of stuff. Um, they're also using uh, some... They're making this at Ernesto's factory, Ernesto Perez Carrillo's factory. So they are using some of the higher-skilled rollers, and they have been deliberately instructed to not, like, take it... You know, do a... The, the, uh, they're actually instructed to do less cigars than maybe normal per day, so they can really put some attention to detail on these things. Okay. 
Um, the cigar itself is um, all Nicaraguan tobaccos with the exception of the filler. There is some Dominican scattered in there. Um, three sizes of 50, 5 and 3 eighths by 50, 52, mm-hmm. six and a half by mm-hmm. 52. 54 is a 5 and 5 eighths by 54. And then a 56, a 6 and a quarter by 56. So wow. it's, a, it's a bigger ring gauge line also is what I've yeah. noticed, right with that. Um, and this is going to ship in late. I should have put the picture up. I saw this is going to ship in late August. But um, I, I think they did a spectacular job with this. cigar. I have not smoked it yet. Um, I think the guys got that sample before. I, I give the guys all my samples. And oh, no. When no. I get what's left. Yeah. Well, they're, yeah. I mean, they're there. So they I'll see if I have one, but I'm sure we'll be getting our hands on this, Dave. So. Uh, it, so that's the Labarita, which was like one now, of the high. Now, interesting, you, you talked about that Crown Heads is dipping their toe into the uh, premium cigar like side of things. Yep. Or pricing. And I, I immediately went to like, oh, no, it's going to be a sake unicorn. This thing's going to be a hundred bucks. And it's like it's like it's it's like budget compared to some. Companies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to say it's not it's a very good budget. Uh, for, like I, I said, mean, these days you're like, well, it's on the funny, you know. But for Crown Heads, that is an expensive cigar. It is, but I mean, yeah. you look at—I don't—I can't remember the brand, but you look at uh, developing palaters reviewing cigars that are like from a new brand. They're they're like launch cigars, and they're like thirty dollars or the whatever. Freud's, I remember the Freud cigars. <laughs> like, when we what? Yeah, yeah, the Freud cigars were. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um. Exactly. I think this wasn't, uh, you know, it's not bad. You know, Perdomo also has a big roots. They had the 30th anniversary. Uh, mm. Three blends, Connecticut, Sun Grown, and Maduro. And, and why I pivoted to a Perdomo discussion, 12 to $14 for those cigars. Yeah. And, that, and that's a that's a release they've worked on for a while. They're using, they're using a lot of, they're, they're, they're saying they're using 15-year-age tobacco in there, which, again, if you go to Nick's place, you can see all the tobacco he has. So I'm sure he's able to put mm. put tobacco away, but he's not able to release a lot of these either. So only 75 retailers are getting it to start. And the idea is as they uh, get more tobacco available, they'll, they'll increase it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and that for Perdomo is a high price cigar. Like Perdomo is yeah. known for under $10. So you look at that like 12 to 14. Well, that's, that's expensive for Perdomo, but in reality, it's not that expensive in the grand scheme of things. Hmm. No, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was that. Let me. So I'll give you a couple more before we kind of head into the uh, the next one. Um, um, uh, let's see what you. Um, oh, Alec Bradley Fine and Rare is coming back. So, so yeah. Now, okay. All right. All right. Do we have clarity around what's happening with Alec Bradley? Like, are they? So they're still putting out. Yeah. Um, since the brand sold, like I'm trying to understand, like what. What's going on here? Um, what I felt was Alec Bradley is that they have been integrated into the Ford side of STG slash general. And this is what I observed is they had three releases. They had the Alec Bradley fine and rare. They had the they brought back the post embargo with a new blend. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. And then they also have a Magic Toast fifth anniversary. So on the surface, you may say, wow, Alec Bradley, they're not missing a beat. Three releases, right? Um, They also were working on all these things before. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. So 
I don't know yet if we can make that decision that Alec Bradley is is going to be like, you know, like when CAO got acquired, it became a part of the uh, landscape mm. of general. I'm not ready to say that yet about Alec Bradley because I think all these projects were in the works. Next year will be the telltale sign. Um, mm-hmm. But they did give Alec Bradley equal footing in the boost with Partagas, okay. with Gloria, with Diesel. So, the, but Alec Bradley went from having a whole boost to a a corner of a boost. Uh, but a boost that's every, yeah. but but every brand had that. So what that essentially meant is they only were able to showcase, put the new stuff on display. Okay. But like I said, I would, I, I'm, I'm holding out before I say yay or nay. It, this was encouraging to see them do this, but. Mm. I've seen this happen with other companies where the sec once these projects are in the works and then the second year things change. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's a fair. I think it's fair to have a watchful eye on that. Mm. So um um and uh, oh the last thing I'll just say is the uh, the hustle guys had the uh, the SBC twenty twos on display. Oh. So I think it's covered in the interview we did with them. So uh, what that's the guy. They would have had a big show between that and the Connecticut. I mean, they got two big releases coming out for them anyway. Yeah, yeah, the Connecticut was was out there uh, as well. So, um, yeah, they were in Skip's booth. With Skip's booth was a very basic booth. Mm. Um, um, yep, they were sharing it with him. What uh, the Skip, uh, the Phosphoro was Skip. Were they promoting that cigar at all? Because it came out of yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they were at the booth. Um. Okay. So they were kind of on the Mike side of the Mike. Mike is the Post Peach. I always say that we're on the Post Peach brands. Oh and, yeah, which is like Postani and, and some of these other projects. And Phosphorus yeah, is one yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Skip has Romacraft on his side, which mm-hmm. is like you know Neanderthal and Temperance, etc. Yeah. With that, yeah. Okay. Yep. So we'll have a lot more like on as I do some of the shows this summer. Well, well, I'll kind of go through some of the releases when they're coming out as well. Um, we'll have a lot of stuff on Coop coming out. We haven't started putting the big video re- boost reports. They'll start probably this week. You know, we had okay. we had to get settled back in from uh, we had to, we had to do some editing and stuff. So it's gonna take a little bit. Oh but, yeah, definitely. But yeah, we don't rush the hands of time at Cigar Coop either. So, <laughs> uh, so um... yep. Right. Well, for the sake of time, we're going to launch right into our cigars and then get into this album archaeology here, Coop. I got I'm smoking. I got a package from Coop and I'm having the LFD Oro 50th. Yeah, I think those are the naturals I sent you. Yeah, I have not. I like LFD, um, but I don't have it a lot on the show for whatever reason. So it was good. It was good to get this and have it, you know, good. So, put yeah, on I the show. It, yeah, I think you'll like it, Dave. Um, It's a. uh. You know that's a TAA cigar. You know how I feel about is the it? TAA. Okay. Yeah, but but I'll say that was a good TAA cigar, so it didn't suck, <laughs> as Skip would say. Um, but um, but yeah, that was one of the better TAA cigars that they, that's been released over the years. So I hope you like that one. No, so I'll give I'll give this I'll give this a whirl. What do you got, Coop? Well, I'll, I figured I'd squeeze one more new cigar, and um, I have the Room One on Fourteenth Anniversary, which oh. came at the trade show. So this is a disclaimer: trade show special. Uh, I don't know how it's going to oh, work, yeah. uh, but it's Nicaraguan Puro made at AJ Fernandez, and Matt Boots every year since the tenth anniversary has released an anniversary cigar. <laughs> I so, love that. So, um, yeah, so this is the Fourteenth, and like I said, it's, it's all Nicaraguan, and it's made at AJ. That's pretty much so- all I know about it, and. Oh, he said about it. 
<laughs> I'm interested to hear because I've had the 12th and the 13th. I mean, I've had the other ones, but they didn't leave much. I don't remember them all that much. But the 12th and the 13th, I really liked. I, so I, I agree with you. I think those one. were the best of the four that have been out. The 12 mm. and 13 are the two best. I really like those. One is so. the one's the pink band one, right? The uh, the 13th is pink, band. and that band just pops. Yeah. I love that band. Yeah. So I would say this is now the first Room 101 Matt's now has a full year yes. under the belt. So I would yes. say we're starting to see the Matt Booth era at STG right now. So this is going to be a big litmus test for me as far as I'm concerned. Because that 13th was a project, again, that was yes, already, already in the works beforehand. Yeah. So, mm. um, And if, if this is a bad cigar, we will blame Justin Andrews. And if it's a good cigar, we'll, we'll, we'll give Matt all the credit. So <laughs> that's how it works. We blame Justin for everything. <laughs> Uh, George Michael's Faith. So, um, this is an album Coop and I have talked about a lot, sort of on other shows. Yep. And with George Michael going into the Hall of Fame and the Wham documentary up on Netflix, it just seemed like, well, now's a really good time to do an album archaeology of it. Um, it's sort of like around. Um, so I guess initial thoughts. I loved this record when it came out, Coop. I bought it on cassette. And then I'll buy, I bought it on CD later. I loved it. I loved the music. I loved George Michael. Just everything about him. He had the, the black leather coupe. He had the, the aviator sunglasses. He, you know, had like the perfect hair. He was just like rock and roll cool. And I loved him. And I love this record. And I love it today. I still love this record. I mean... But saying I love this record, really for me, it's side A, and we'll get to that. I mean, there's a really great deep cut on side B, but um, it's really those first three songs for me are just, I can listen to them over and over and over. And I still love this record. And uh, it's 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 great. It's iconic record. Love it. It's interesting, Dave. We're going to have, a, this is going to be one of these cases. You and I are going to have a very different view of this album, right? And then, because I'm a big side B fan of this album, right? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think it's, and I think that's, I always love when we have this type of, because I think we learn from each other and we were able to kind of compare. Um, I'm going to, when you get to the history of this album, I'm going to let you talk about the theme of this album because you identified the mm. theme perfectly. So I don't want to, I don't want to steal your thunder with that. But I want to say a few things. First of all, you mentioned the look, okay? Oh, I love the look. So, so, if you watch the Wham documentary, okay, if you followed Wham, the Wham look was they wore sport, they wore these yes. sports, sports style outfits and shorts, right? And uh, him and Andrew Ridgely would run around in these, like, you know, uh, Adidas stuff or whatever you want to call it. And then the Wham shirts came, right? Mm-hmm. George, George changed his look and image with this, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's he put a beard, he had the aviated sunglasses and the dark leather jacket, right? So, this was a different look for George Michael. He was also, mm. and this is really, I think, the key thing is he was only 23 years old when he did this. Oh, album. And, it's and, so good. But this is an album that he yeah. deliberately changed his style, okay? Oh, yeah. I mean, he would wear the he also, the, the, the iconic thing I remember in the videos. Is he'd have like the black leather driving gloves playing guitar, and it was just like, it's just so. But cool. the music, but the music changed. The music was a big change yes. in this album. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It became more adult oriented. It was more of an adult oriented album, uh, not adult, not in the sense of adult themes. Maybe one song, but uh, but uh, but this was not um, 
Wham Rap or Club Tropicana, no. right? Which which I love those songs, by the way. I'm That's not, not yeah. But this yeah. is a much more um this is an album I felt that was geared for the thirty something crowd, not the twenty something yeah. crowd necessarily. Oh, love this record. Um it has a very strong R and B vibe. Mm-hmm. This album mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different cuts, different types of R and B. We'll cut we'll get into that. It spawned four number ones Ooh. on the Billboard chart. Four. And here is the Pretty amazing good. thing. I only think one of them was was worthy of the number <laughs> one because I think the deep because I think the other three the deep the, this album is so strong on deep cuts in my opinion. A lot of deep uh, cuts, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is where it shines. The other thing I'll say is, um, this album was released when the music business was in a little bit of a tailspin. Um, this was like, you know, we're, like they, we're sort of that, yeah, yeah, it's sort of that weird time between, like. Pop and when Nirvana's gonna drop in a in like three, right, years. right, right. It's that had, weird sort of we're not quite there yet. I mean, you you had Purple Rain, Born in the USA, uh, yeah. Thriller. You had these monster, monster albums, right? Now, Bad came along around this time, but but there yeah. wasn't much else, right? So, but this album came along, I think, at the right time, uh, yeah. particularly for the you know for. Even though I still think it was geared for the thirty-something generation, I think the the twenty-something generation appreciated this album. So I don't want to say. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, it's sort of like we're not going to get like hip hop's not going to jump off until right, which uh, is kind of Compton, and that's eighty-nine, and and we don't like even a lot of other bands like Coop and I have done a show on ninety-one, so we're in that sort of like lull before things sort of shake up again. And there was a change in the landscape where. I think yeah. the synth pop movement was coming to an end, even though there's a lot of synth yeah. pop on this album. There's a lot. We were, we were seeing the acoustic piece come, which I think played yeah. a key role with this album too. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more of that oh, natural yeah. sound was coming in around this time. So, you know, this is when Mellencamp was 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 having some big hits with uh, Lonesome Jubilee from that album. So, I mean, you had some of that. You know, you had more of this natural sound coming out. Now, you had the the folkish kind of stuff coming. Uh, the Suzanne Vegas was starting to get popular. Mm. Um, so uh, that that stuff was starting to come. But Dave, this is I got a question for you. You don't have to answer it yet unless you want. Here to. we go. Let's do this. So George Michael says this is not a pop album. My question to you is, is this a pop album? I would. Agree a little. I mean, it's hard to say it's not a pop album when it has four number one hits on it. That's where that's where I keep um, struggling with this. Right? And it's, there's a couple, has, there's two songs that are very popish on this album, by the way. Because like pop by definition means it's popular. So I mean, it's hard to argue that. I I think I think what he's getting at is that what you said, which is a great point, that this is a strong R and B record, and we're not. This is not the wham pop is sort of what I right. think he means. Yeah. But to say it's straight up not a pop album, I don't think you could say that. But I don't I don't think so I, either. Yeah, I kind of I agree with this answer hundred percent. But I agree with him in that like we'll get to it. There's like a jazz track on this record. There's some like Prince style R and B on this record. I think what he sort of means by that is that this this isn't a wham record, which which I agree with. But yeah, I think I still think you can't really you know what I'm finding? If, I dro- if this record dropped at a radio station, right? A top 40 mm. radio station and mm. artist unknown, mm. right? I think mm. people would say, 
I ain't playing this album on the radio. Oh, so good. But I don't think They're they would. Maybe, ridiculous. you know what I mean? There's maybe two songs that they would, but this is like. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have, get four. Maybe it would go on the easy listening station, kind of. It, it, yeah. But yeah, maybe. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't see it. Uh, but I think because of who was. George Michael was so popular out of Wham that. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. I, you know, I think this that's the reason why this album got airplay the way. And I think the radio, the record companies did a great job promoting this, too, this album. I mean, and if you look at if you look at some of these songs, they are sort of close to other pop songs. But yeah, I mean, I get what he's saying. But oh, there's I, a couple. But, yeah, I mean, they're still, very close. Yeah, pop, it's still pop. Though. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I get what he's saying though. I get what he's saying too. Yeah, but I agree with you on your answer. Yeah, I think we're totally in sync with that. And so and Dave, we're in sync with George. Yeah, yeah. So Dave has done a great history. Bit of breakdown. Break, he broke down like, and I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the floor over to him because he's got some <laughs> great great knowledge here. Um, I love I love a bit of history of yeah. records. I find it very interesting. Yeah. So uh, he broke up with Wham in 1986. Uh, Andrew originally has talked about this in recent interviews and also on this the Netflix uh, documentary. He was sort of saying like it was pretty obvious to him and George that George was becoming bigger than the band. That George, he's like, George is getting bigger than the band. The band wasn't artistic enough for where he was headed. Um, he, he needed to do his own thing. And so they sort of broke up kind of at their height. Um, but it was pretty amicable. Um, they were school friends, originally and George Michael. So they stayed friends up until his death in 2016, which was from heart failure um, uh, and some other complications um is when he died 53 i think he was only um and so they were friends up until then and he also talked about which is gonna be a big sort of sub theme in this record is that um andrew knew he was gay but this was sort of kept largely a secret uh from the public because he didn't want george's family finding out so yes can you hear me yes yes I can hear you. What happened, Coop? Dave? Yes. Right. We had a little bit of a uh, technical difficulty, so I'll jump right back. Yep. I was saying, Coop, I was saying that um, I was talking about Andrew Ridgely and George's friendship and how he was talking about how a lot of the him being gay was kept a secret. Yeah. Not because of public image, but because he didn't want his family to know. Yeah, no, I know. And that caused a lot of depression in for him. And it's going to lead into one of the major themes on here about identity. Big um, theme is identity on this album. Yes. But so that so that's all. Now, 19, from 1984 to 1987, George Michael had like the biggest three years of anyone ever. Absolutely. So he, he did Live Aid. Um, Wham had a hit record with Make It Big in 1984, which was huge. Uh, the band breaks up two years later, and then he does I Knew You Were Waiting with Aretha Franklin in 1987. What a, what a song. What he a credits song. that song with really sort of propelling his career. It, just he, a great he talks, duet, yeah. He talks about meeting these people at Live Aid and that when Aretha Franklin's people asked him to do a song with her, like he couldn't believe it. Yeah, like he said, it was sort of like the biggest moment in his life, and it kind of really jump started him because then later in the year, Faith comes out. Now, obviously, he's recording Faith at the same time, but it comes out later in '87, 
um, wrote, produced the record, Coop, and played most of the instruments on it. Did like yeah. a, did like a McCartney. Yeah. Wrote and produced it. Played a lot of the instruments. Uh, the record was released on Columbia and Epic. Uh, which was kind of different. Which was kind of different, yeah. by the way. They did. Those are two CBS labels, and I think they did it because of the, where they were distributing them around the world. Just so you know. Yeah, yeah probably around, yeah. and that happens sometimes. Yep. Like, um, I think it was the Stones, or maybe even the Beatles. Like yeah. they're on Paramore in some countries, and then like Atlantic and other countries and stuff like that. Um, he recorded it in Denmark at Puck Studios. Uh, he he did it for about a year. He really liked it because like there was no one around. Um, but then uh, he got he said in an interview he got sort of stir crazy and got a bit of cabin fever, so he ended up doing the final bit in London and just like went back because he's he's like he needed he couldn't he had to get out. Um, tons of Sith like we'll talk about an electric yeah. and a, a drum electric percussion. He'd write a lot of his songs with this sort of percussion in the background to give him sort of a a beat. Uh, and then he would sort of fill it in later. Now, a lot of these albums we talk about, and we're like, all oh, these great albums, we love them. This album was huge immediately. Like Coop said, four number one hits, sold 25 million copies, was album of the year at the Grammys. Um, it was just huge. He said Prince and Michael Jackson were big influences for him on this record. You could really see, I think, you could really see a Purple Rain influence on this. Purple Rain coming out. 84. I think he there's definitely Purple Rain. That. Dave, I think there's even influence on some of the later stuff. And I'll like, like 85 and 86, 87. And I'll yeah. talk about that as well. Yeah. He it, had no to doubt Purple, to Purple Rain. Rain like a ton. No, yeah, yeah, no doubt. But there's, there's a big Prince influence on this album mm. that people mm. may not even know about this one. Yeah. Now we're doing the original vinyl construction. So, and what I mean by that is we got a side A and side B. Uh, well, the difference is on cassette and CD, there's some bonus tracks. We're going to do one of those tracks. The other track was a remix, so it's sort of like, well, why am I talking about the same song? Um, so we're going to break it up into side A and B uh, to the original vinyl and then like do a bonus track. It's not that long. It's not that big of a record, yeah. Coop. I think it's like nine songs or something. Yeah, it's like nine songs. It's not a long one at all. Um, no. No. You know, I did get it, David uh, uh, one email. They, I was asked if my dad ever drove George Michael. The answer is he never did. Oh. Uh, he never drove Wham because most of the time I think they were always in Europe. Um, yeah. And then by the time this album came out, he had sold the company already. He had sold his limo company already. So uh. he, yeah, he was out of it by this point. Yeah. So, but but I asked my dad, you know, uh, you know, if he ever did years ago, and he said, "No, I never drove George." Oh yeah, so, no! Yeah, so I don't have I don't have any George stories, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, so side A. So, so let's just get into it. Side A. He's not messing around, Coop. He starts off with Faith, which is a one of the four number one hits. Title track. It was actually God, the second. It wasn't the first single because the first single didn't hit number one. But this was the second or third that and it hit number one. Yeah, not the first song he worked on either. I think the first song he worked on was the I Want Your Sex. Yeah. Um, but uh, I am in regret for not putting this on the opening tracks show. Uh, very a great opening track for me. So when you're looking at Prince and Purple Rain, like it's sort of similar intro. So he has this like really that, prolonged sort of organ intro, which I forgot about. Good, good one. Which, you which like and then it and then it like hard cuts 
to the acoustic guitar. Uh, similar to Purple Rain, where he has that sort of evangelical, you know, people were gathered here today. Uh, let's get crazy. Uh, uh, I mean, the Prince song, like, blows us out of the water. But yeah, um, you can see some of the, like, the way he launches into the record is sort of similar to that Purple Rain. Uh, and much like Purple Rain, there's a lot of recurring themes around spirituality, around religion. I mean, you got the organ here. He's going to talk about God and other places. Um, there's a lot of the similar themes with that, and right away you you hit with this acoustic guitar, and his vocal is so good. Like the I like the thing on this record for me, Coop, the standout is the vocal on it and the range, and it's mm-hmm. just so good. It's probably his best, I think, vocally. Yeah, it's good. It's a really I think it's a very oh. solid opening track. I, I'm not sure if it's an all-time opener, okay? But I'm going to say it's it's of the songs on this album, it was the perfect one for the opening track. Um, I actually, but there's a lot of things about this song that, like, I felt like, like the song. This is not not going to song, but it almost didn't fit on this album. Does that make sense? Because I think so. Music, musically, it didn't. Lyrically, it did. Because lyrically, it explores relationships, but musically, it's like out of place. Because this is really. The, you don't really see a lot of guitar work after this song, is what I'm gonna say. I on mean, air. not to not to yeah. you know contradict George Michael, but this is a very pop. It's hard to say I'm not doing a pop record and have this song. Like this is a very poppy song. Right, right, right. It's um, but yeah, it ex- you know I think lyrically it explores relationships, which uh, I think is about about. But this is a very like I said, this is a very pop song, and again. For George Michael to do this acoustic-driven guitar song, mm. right? It's got oh. dun, 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 dun. you know, it's there's nothing so he's done good. really before that like this. Um, so this was you kind of get this. Um, and uh, you know, and actually, it's interesting because we'll talk about "I Want Your Sex" in a little bit, right? Because that's a very it was a very controversial track. And then this is kind of comes along, and it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, you gotta have face, face. You know, it's kind of like, the, the 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 video to this song was just hot, oh, though. Like, what a, oh it, man! Is, let me tell you something. That's how videos. I don't want to see videos kind of do a mini mini like storyline. Just give me this. What George Michael does in that in that video. Mm-hmm. That's that's what a video I need in a video. Exactly. Just give me him like rocking away in there. It was really it was a great video. Simple video, but it works. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. Let me ask another so question we, before, yeah, go before we go, Dave. Yep. Was this wor- was this album even? This is the other problem I had with this song. Like, it's, again, it's not the song. I don't even think "Face" was the right title for this album. I I don't know oh, why yeah. they ended up going with "Face" with it. it it's um, it's just because this album was so much out of place with the rest of the song. This song was so out of place with the rest of the songs in this album. That's kind of where I go back to on this. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I I didn't look. I didn't in the interviews I read he doesn't talk much about the title. He talks more about the recording process. Yeah. So I don't know I don't know why he came up with Faith. I mean it's a it's cool if you look at it in a vacuum, it's cool like album title, it's one word. It's it's you know, um it's it's kind of pops. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe because the the cover image is from the I mean the whole sort of the cover image, the Faith video are basically the same thing. So maybe it was this whole like vibe he was going for. I don't know. Maybe. And, you know, maybe it's like, hey, you got to have faith in me doing music. Maybe I could see that. Maybe yeah. using that. Because people, George, now that I'm thinking about it, it makes some sense, right? Now I'm thinking out loud here. 
if you, I'm trying not to give too much of the documentary, but George really became obsessed with being one of the best songwriters in the world. Yes. Yep. So when he struck he out in his own, Prince is what he, he wanted. wanted to be Prince. He wanted. Yeah. And he was wham before this, right? Yeah. And he's coming out this album. It's kind of like the Alec Brad. I should have smoked an Alec Bradley Blind Face, right? That would have been perfect. I didn't have that's. One. I was thinking, but that but too. it's kind of the same one. Hey, Blind Face was having faith in the the Ruben boys to do a cigar, and maybe this is exactly what he was doing with this: is saying, "Have faith in me to do this album." So I all right now I'm seeing it. I thought out loud. I changed my mind. Oh, it's so good album. Yeah. Um, so we got faith. So we jump out with faith, and then we hand it to another. Banger, which is father figure. Yeah, different different tone coupe, but I'll let you I'll let you kick kick this off here. Yeah, so I think George left the guitar home for this song, right? So, yeah, did, yeah, did. right. But it's a gospel vibe without necessarily being a gospel song, if that makes sense. So there's yeah. a good gospel influence, particularly with the background mm-hmm. vocals, the mm-hmm. female background mm-hmm. vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, lyrically, this is just a fantastic song about you know, um, which I love. Now. Construction wise with the song, what I really love about this song is that there's an instrumental uh, that's about mm. 35 seconds long, which, you know, most radio stations at that point would say, um, we don't want to play you. Right. It's too long. Yeah. But but that that part really, um, really uh, is a key thing with me. Um, and father figure again, it's about like the lyrics are really good. It's about it's about relationships. So it's more about mm. relationships here. Um, you know, there's lines in here to say, uh, sometimes I think you'll never understand me. You know, maybe this time is forever. Say, say, can be something like that. You know, it's like mm. he's kind of in this oh, God, again, he's kind of struggling with relationships again, probably related to the things going on in his, his real life there. Um, but what I love about this song is, you know, when I said, uh, sometimes I think you'll never understand me, and then there's this pre course, or uh, there's this response. In the pre-course, understand me by the gospel background. Oh, it just God. is. It's just so well done here. This song went number one. Great song. It, it it grows on you as you listen to it. But I encourage you if you if listen to this song like really uh, un, un uh, without distraction because it's a, it's a great song. I I agree, Dave. This is one of the. This was a standout track for me. <laughs> You know, it reminds me of a different place in the record. I just looked it up really quickly. And I agree with everything you say. And it slows it. It reminds me of Madonna's Papa Don't Preach a little bit. Yeah. Like just sort of the vibe of it. Like s- slows it down. Um, Has that sort of uh, there's a lot of religious and identity imagery here. So sort of like what Cooper's talking about, he's got this sort of conflict between freedom, talks about being naked and sex, but he also talks about faith. Yeah. And he has, you know, the father, you, you know, references and the, back, the the kind of gospel-esque background that Cooper's talking about, although it's not a gospel song. Um, so you this got is not these... wham, bam, I'm a man here. It's like, what, no. Like, That's what I'm saying. This is no. the guy who's really emerged as a songwriter. When you, this is a lyric genius song yeah this isn't wake me up before you go go yeah it? yeah no. <laughs> so it's a very powerful ballad got deeper undertones the line that sticks out for me coop is he has a lyric that love can be mistaken as a crime yeah in this track 
And for me, that is really calling out to this his identity as a gay man. But within a society, especially wow, in the eighties, Dave, great, great pick. I've had enough of the crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, especially in the eighties, where you know homosexuality a lot. I mean, places still was criminalized and shunned, you, and it's you sort were, of this yeah. dual identity for him. Like on the one hand, he's promoting himself in this record as a sex symbol. Uh, but on the other hand, underneath it, there's this whole other identity for him that he has to sort of closet that comes out in some of these lyrics, I think. And that sort of really stuck out to me in this song, especially when you look at sort of his reluctance to come out to his father, you know? Yeah, he uses the sort of crime a couple figure. of times in this song. I'm looking at the lyrics. He uses it a couple yeah. of times talking about the crime here. So there's no doubt that this was like, his sexuality was playing into what he's singing here. I believe so. And, and I think. And, and when you know that, I mean, at the time of the record, you're just like, oh, that's a cool line or whatever. But like knowing a bit more about him now, it, it just, just gives another like layer of meaning and more of this like identity sort of uh, theme running through it. It's a really good song. Yeah, it's a it's a tremendous song. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think people realize it's not just your run-of-the-mill ballad that you have going. No, on. it's there's deep lyrics and and you know in this song and I, I keep going back to Wham Bam I'm a Man with the Wham rap. Right. And this right. is so and and this is where George just really wanted. You know, you saw George with Careless Whisper, even though he didn't write that whole song. Andrew mm. didn't co-write that with him. But you saw the beginnings of that with Careless Whisper. Now he kind of goes to this father figure. Yeah, this is this is a great track. And I think he probably was talking, because Andrew and he were friends. He's probably talking to Andrew about these songs that were sort of kicking around his head. And Andrew's sort of like, oh, yeah, our, our band is over. Like, you can't. Like, I can't keep up with this. Like, he has to. Yeah. Um. So it's good. I mean... So we go two two bangers, and then the third song is the classic. Now this is where Coop and I are gonna come. Yeah, to this is heads, the one where we disagree on this song. Yeah, I want your sex part one and two. Now I can I can get rid of part two. Cut part two off the song. Okay, let's just let's just start there, because part two is this weirdo like end of the song sax thing that I'm like I don't know what that's about. So get rid of that. Um. I think it's the closest to Prince for him on the well. I mean, this side well, except for a side B song that we'll get to. Uh, but on side A anyway, um, closest to Prince. It's like out of the world sexy. This track is. I put it's just oozing sex all over the place. Uh, great funk vocal. I like the synth. It's kind of this like dirty kind of funk. Much like everything else, he's got references to the Bible, sex being natural. Everybody should love it. I think part one is quite progressive. I think part one of this track aged quite well. Part two did not. But I think part one aged well. Um, and Coop, I think, too, like you listen to this track and you can sort of see the impact on people like Timberlake, Justin Timberlake, Robbie Williams, Usher, like modern R&B, I think. Yep. There's a lot of modern R&B sort of vibe out of the first part of this track. Agree. I agree. You, uh, what'd you think? I agree with you on that part. I think there's no doubt that this was a track that you saw guys like Justin Timberlake and Robbie Williams mm. latch on to and definitely. Um, 
so this song I thought was the weakest of all the tracks on the album. <laughs> Not a bad track, but it never really did anything for me, right? Other than I think this, I looked at this as was a heavily influenced Prince song. I don't care how you. Yes, this yes, was, yes. Yep, 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 yep. And I, I think there was a, a point. I think this was, even though. George Michael say the song was not about promiscuous sex, right? He, he was, says yes. He was trying to push a button, and he oh pushed, yeah, and he pushed the button, and guess what? The That's song the got does, man. the song got banned on stage. Oh yeah, it didn't go number one. But I also think it set the table for these other songs to follow to go number one because I think when this thing got censored, there was a backlash on this, right? Um, but I like the funkish. I think there's a I, the funkish. I do like some of the funk in this song. Oh. Um, but I think this was such a to me. This was like George Michael saying, "I want to be Prince, and I want to do." I'm yes. like he went, he went back in some of the Prince archives, maybe, um, and then kind of updated it a bit. And he did this song, and 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 uh, um, I guess I think the song was unfairly panned too because I I do agree with George. This is not about promiscuous sex. No, I and think it, yeah. This is about relationships. This might be this about relationships. Yeah. This might be his version of Kiss. You know, Prince's Kiss, like his attempt. Like it's sort of similar song structure. Yeah. Um, like him, you know, I think the track we're gonna get to that you love and that I also love on the B side, I think is the closest thing to a Prince song. Yeah. Well, there's, and there's a big analogy we'll talk about with that one, because I know which one you're talking about. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. yeah. But I think too, like to your point earlier, which I think is great, is is I think this song is meant to be like he wants to set himself apart from Wham. He's like, I'm the bad boy, you know, no more of this Wham stuff. I'm getting banned. Like I'm the, you know. I think that's like, I think what this, part this of it was. That. The, this was shock value. Yeah, uh, and yeah. this was the whole. This that. was the beginning of the whole tip of gore stuff coming up too around this time too. I, mean, I agree with that. Like I think he knew it was going to get banned. Like he probably it a, knew it. Yeah, I think he knew it. I think they, like I said, I think it was probably what put this album over the top, uh, because when the second single oh, came yeah. out, people couldn't wait to hear it. Oh uh, yeah, like this song, everybody. Ta- I love this song, and everybody. Ta- I still love it. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I heard it, I was like, okay, I like. He's trying to he, Prince influence. He's trying to be Prince, and man, I'm like, it ain't Prince, right? That was Oof. that was kind of my reaction. It really father figure was the third song, which I said, this guy, man, this is one of the greatest songwriters we have in the 80s when I when I oh, started yeah. seeing this. But this lyrically is not a bad song either. I'm saying no, it's not. It's not. Um, it's not. It's not by any means. It, there's some depth and again, explores relationships and stuff, like that, which is a big theme in, um, in this album. So, yeah, because I I mean, this is before I started listening to Prince. So I think for me, this song probably is why it blew me away a lot more than you. Because you're like, well, I've heard this before. And better. Yeah. Whereas for me, it was like, oh, oh, what is this? This is great. Yeah. Oh, and then so we're going to end the side. Like I said, it's not a huge record. Like we only got four songs on side A. Yeah, it was a nine song track, uh, which back then it, it was still doing a lot of those because CDs still were just beginning mm. to get more. And. You know, they, they he opted to do a single album is what he did here. Yeah. So we got one more try, which is so we're going to and we're ending the 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 side A uh, and, and like we'll talk a little bit about like his construction and stuff. But what, what do you where do you think of this song, Coop, the, the sort of closer to side A? 
Uh, where's the guitar again? Was my first question, right? But yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, but yeah. I thought it was a great closer to the side. It slows it down. Mm, mm. Um, this is a this was the third number one single off this album. So uh, it's a very I think another strong lyrical song. It's about broken relationships. I think if you read between the lines in this one, you see you know he explores his own sexuality as well in this. It's yep. haunting this song. I was surprised mm. that it actually went number one. Because it's a haunting song. It has a very mm. haunting. I mean, would you agree? Um, yep. I just, yeah, it was. It, it's a little bit more of a of a darker song. Um, you know, and um, you know that whole. And then the i the 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 thing that's interesting in this is the reference to teacher, right? Mm. He's talking to like he's the father figure two songs ago, but now he's a student <laughs> yes. here, right? Which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, mm. he's like, the whole thing about teacher. There are things I don't want to learn. Uh, and the last one I had made me cry. You know, it's clear that you know, I almost thought like he was singing this to a woman who was like trying. Mm. You know, I don't and 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 he just I can't. You know, this ain't me. You know, mm. it's, just, Not- it's just yeah, it's a great song now. This has a very British soul influence in this song. And, mm-hmm. and this is why I want you to re-explore. If you like this song, okay. Dave, I'm, this is I why do. I want you to re-explore some, some more Simply Red. Because Simply Red kind of uses, it's not quite as haunting as this, but this British soul style is really what I think Simply Red does very well. And if you, you didn't see, there was a previous show where Dave just destroyed Simply I gave him a I destroyed. Simply, I destroyed it, destroyed right? Destroyed Simply Red. Um, which I can understand him destroying that song, maybe, but there's but other things. Yeah. Just Dave, just, Dave just destroyed it. He killed it. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he didn't break my heart or anything, but uh, but I, there's I, a crime scene. I, I'm gonna work was. on him with this one. Is what I'm telling. You. <laughs> <laughs> but but great. I mean, what a great song. I, I shocked me. It went number one because it's not exactly. It's there's a mm, lot of. It's yeah. not a positive song. And what, you know, it's you a know, slow song. Yeah. Do you know when they released this as a single? Was it the last single? No, uh, the last it was actually the uh, the the third single in the U.S. that was released. So I'm uh, just wondering, do you think it's just riding the wave of the other ones? Like, yeah, I think, like, he, oh, I, think, George I think he was riding the wave. He had two big ones with Father Figure and yeah. um, like he had Father Figure. Faith. So I want your sex was the first one. Faith comes out second, and then Hard Day, which we're going to talk about. I think it was released in Europe, and mm. Father Figure was released in the U.S. So the fourth one was one more try yeah okay okay uh, so it could just be like riding this wave of this album's great it was in it because father figure was like a winter song it came out in like january mm. the cold of mm. winter right that's interesting so you get into the spring this was an april 88 release and one more try it it, it, it kind of just it was a very soft slow song right it's not that's, necessarily your love yeah. ballad or anything like that it, it, but i i was shocked it's, it's fascinating to hear you hear to hear when these singles are released because this album had, compared to modern records, this album had such legs, Coop. It, so I want the album. I mean, came, <laughs> yeah, the album came out in. So I want your sex was the pre-single. Yeah, face and face yes. that came out in June of '87. Then the 12th of October, face the single drops, followed by the end of the month, the album drops. Yep. Yeah, so Father Figure was a late December release, and One More Try was an early spring release in April. See, listen to those legs, man. Like, now it's like a record drops, it sells $8 million, and then, like, it's done. Yeah. 
It was just shocking. Um, I want to hear your take on this song. I'm really here's my take. It's trash. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> so I, I said, what's great? What I like is so you had this sort of blistering opening three tracks, like three huge singles, and then you really slow it down with this last track, which is a great album closer to me. Um, a great. I mean, I think it might even have been good. It could have been uh, the last song. Um, you could have made, made this the last song. It could have been the yeah. last song. I agree. Because uh, it's a good, I mean, so so if it's a good album, it's a good side closer. Um, it really caps off the side, I think. Uh, Coop did a phenomenal job with all the um, thematic analysis of the song, so I'm not going to go over all that. Uh, so that stuff's great. It gave me sort of this, like, 50s rockabilly ballad vibe. I don't know why. It was, I'm like, yeah, it's almost but I, this, I don't... like, rockabilly kind of 50s. Maybe it was, like, the vocal I think it was the it? vocal. Maybe the vocal. Love is vocal. Uh, love the emotion. Rockabilly ballad is the key word. Yeah. yeah, I got that vibe from it. Um, and and even like even like Wham right had this sort of swingy pop vibe to it, you know. Yeah, like it, it had this sort of kind of throwbacky vibe to it. But anyway, um. I uh, love the range, and I just my last note is just still as sexy as hell. Like it's just like it's like that Prince record, and it's just such a sexy record, and it's just everything, and it's just his vocal. I think for me anyway. So um, Dave, you yeah, you hit something, and and you you the word you use is Aaron Loomis's favorite word, emotion, right? Mm. I love the emotion. This song oh. is the emotion he brings out. This okay, and how he's how he's calling out the teacher. Uh, there, yeah. there are things I have to learn. It, it just it, it's very raw. It's real. Mm. Um, this is I talked about this with like why people like Diana Ross. I think she kind of yes. he wears his heart on his sleeve with this, uh, with this song for sure. Uh, I it, I never considered yeah. George Michael a private guy either, but no. I think he did have a private side to his life. Obviously, <laughs> from what we've heard, but yeah. Mm. It it's genuine. It's an honest vocal, isn't it? Like it's genuine. It's honest. Like you're believing what he's saying. Yeah. You know, a, as opposed to say, like when when he's with Wham, it's just it's more sort of antiseptic. It's like, oh, here's a pop song. This is fun. This this is more like you believe it. Like maybe Careless Whisper was like that. Like it's just a really honest, genuine, genuine vocal, which I yeah. like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so so. Side A ends, my favorite side. I love that side. Good side. I'm not knocking it. I like side B better, but yeah, we'll get into that. Now, this is also a great track. I put great opening track to side B. We got Hard Day, slow ramp up, similar to Faith. But it kicks into this like edgy, sharp electro synth, which is contrasted. It's got some great deep funk bass. There's some really interesting things going on. Instrumentally, I didn't think it was great. I said the weakest instrumentally, but I put his sexy vocal and the hook is so great. So with S and 10 O's, I wrote in my notes, the hook is so good. It has this sort of Sade vibe to it. Love it. I could have done without the electro percussion. There's a lot of electric percussion on this record that I think dates it a little in some instances. But the vocal, I mean, it's a solid opening to a side. It's a, it's a great track. 
Hard day. Love the track. Love the opening. Love the track. Yeah. No, it's a, it's is this is blown away this track. This is the best. I love your print stuff on here. This is gonna keep Coop's going deep, man. Yeah, yeah. This is I love this song. It's the best song on the album. Uh I wish the single got released. It no, you know, it's maybe first or second. There's there's another one that's really good on There's this another album. one. There's yeah. another one coming up that's really good. But but I heard this and I'm like, because uh, I got this album much I didn't get this album till much later. All right, there was another single okay. that had to come out for me to buy this album. I didn't buy it yet. Right, but so when I heard this, the first thing again was this is Prince, right? This is this is vintage Prince, right? And here's the thing that's really interesting in this song: when you get to that final verse, George Michael does a voice alteration, okay, mm-hmm. where he creates a female voice with his voice. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Prince at Prince had already started mm. to do this in his music with Sign of the mm. Times on the Housequake song. He does the same thing and he had this moniker for that voice called Camille, who is uh the alter e- the female alter ego of Prince. And it, oh. it, and he has used this uh this alter ego on on other on other thing on other things. Now Supposedly, in 1986, like well, we noticed in 1986, Prince recorded a full album, a full Camille album. All right, it really? Never, yeah, under the name Camille, it never has gotten released. It is planned; they are planning to release it this year or next year. Finally, it's coming out of the vault to be released. Um, there's been a lot of oh God, the, the album exists. The album exists, and there's eight tracks on the album. The you can go on the Wikipedia; you can see all the tracks on there. Um, wow. Yeah. So, but Prince. So I don't know what George Michael's relationship was with Prince. In 1986, this was kind of an underground thing, and then he kind of on Housequake, which is on the sound, the sign of the Times album, he brings out Camille for the first time. I, I have to think he was influenced by Prince, if not even. I don't know what his relationship. I'm curious what his relationship was with Prince, but he had to be influenced because that alter ego thing is just—it's exactly what the Camille thing is with Prince. And to me, that's just it makes this song so different, right? Mm. And mm. look, I, I don't if he copied him, he copied him, right? You know, the, you know, imitation is the best form oh, of flattery. I, I can just say it. it works on this song perfect to have that female voice come in for the last minute. It, it's just hard day to me is uh yeah. is a standout track. Uh, love love starting the second side off with this. It should have been me. This is one of those. I think it could have been a number one single. They could have they could have swapped out any of those other ones and and, and this one would have went number one. It's, it's a great song, just a, a good song. Yeah, I knew you. Would, by the way, I knew some of the synth stuff wasn't your thing in this either. Yeah. Can you hear me? Dave froze. I think Dave froze. So we are gonna pause. All right, hand to mouth. This is another great track. I knew Dave wasn't gonna like the sense lines in these tanks, right? Um, you know, Dave. You know what was interesting about this song, Dave? This song was the type of song that pop music was moving away from, right? By this, like, this was a song that belonged mm. in like 1983. 
It did not belong in 1988 at this point, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the since pop sound was was like face was what we were seeing the pop sound go to the song face, not this one, which was a very heavy synth type song. Um, mm. but nonetheless, um, nothing to take away from this song. This is another uh banger for me. Um, I love this. I think even though, like I said, all right, maybe this song came along a few years late. Um, I, I just love this song. Uh, it's got this, it's got this vibe to it that almost mm-hmm. reminded me of, you're going to laugh at me, Mike and the Mechanics Whoa. and Genesis. Just Mike and the Mechanics. Okay. Mike and the Mechanics. Here's something, if you listen to Mike and the Mechanics first album, which that mm-hmm. sound that's, they use very much a synth sound at that point. Um, it just has that vibe to it. Um, again, it's not a song you're gonna get guitar on out here. Um, mm. but I, but I do it. It's a catchy song, hand to mouth, hand. To <laughs> mouth. I just, I just, it gets catches to me. Uh, it's a great second track following Hard Day to me. Um, again, I could released one of these as um, I could have easily released this as um a single, but I think it would have gotten lost with some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It's the, the lyrics are really interesting in this one, right? Because it's told as a story. Mm. Um, Jimmy got nothing, made himself a name with a gun he polished for a rainy day, a smile and a quote from a vigilante movie. Our boy Jimmy just blew him all away. It's kind of like this. I, 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 I'm trying to come up with what this song is about. I, I got to be honest, I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's almost like he was singing a little more from a social standpoint on things with this one. Yeah. Uh, but Cantor Mouth. You may think it has a different meaning. It's it, that's not what yeah. this this was. I mean, so I don't know. That was my take. I never understood what this song was about, other than I liked it. Yeah, I uh, for me, like the synth drums really bring me out. I think he overuses the synth drums on this. Like I know, and that could be like a modern listening to this record, I guess. Yeah, uh, because I think those like electro drums like date it the most. But like I said, I'm listening to it now. Maybe then I wouldn't have even thought about it. So it's hard to sort of say. But uh, I think lyrically is one of the stronger re- tracks. I like it lyrically a lot. So he's singing about gun violence, yeah. his poverty in here, racial divide, injustice, a loss of faith. It's sort of like these things are happening. How can I be? How can I have faith in? I think he calls American gods, but maybe that's what maybe that's good with his theme. I just kind of had trouble seeing what exactly what his social messaging was here, but maybe that's it. What you say? I mean, it's like he just has these like vignettes of all these social ills, and he's like, "How can I have faith with all this stuff going on in the world?" Um, it's well, a lot. Go back like, to the title face. Goes back to the title face now. Hey, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of faith on this record. Yeah, uh, and you're gonna laugh at me here. I changed my mind. I changed my mind on the face title now. Yeah, you're gonna. You're going to laugh at me here, but uh, I think it's a lot like TLC's Waterfalls. I think because uh, you listen to Waterfalls I, and I have, uh, yeah, it's sort of these vignettes of yeah. social ills and I find a lot of a lot of Waterfalls, similar sort of song structure or lyrical structure anyway. So I go back to the Prince influence again. Yeah. Was this he sign of the times came out a year earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Was this his response this his to sign, sign of the times now? You know? Oh, it's got to be. You'd think which, so. Which, yeah. I mean, that's you go back and look at that. I'm like, hmm. You know, it just make it makes you go hmm on this one. Like, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, if it comes out a year early, he's listening to it as he's recording because it yeah. took him roughly a year to record. Yeah. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. That's two songs. That's two songs. He was influenced by Sign of the Times because like I said Housequake was the other one for hand. hand yep. uh, uh, we got our day. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no I'm doubt stuff as George, I do this show. Yeah, I'm, learning stuff, I'm doing I'm learning more as I do this show tonight. Just things coming out loud, which is interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so we go from that into look at your hands. So we saw a lot about hands. In the track. Yeah, you know, I was like, what is up with the hands here? But this <laughs> one is know. this one again. So he, this one's again a social. Like, he's kind of moved into the social mode now. Yes. In, in this yeah. one, and he's with these songs. Yeah. Well, and I the mean, next one try- after that's going to be social. Yeah. He's trying to broaden his writing. He's trying to, like, you know, this is here. This is. George Michael without the like pop, you know, chains of wham, I guess. He's really branching out in these different areas. Uh, starts out some brass, which there hasn't been a ton on this record. So that's good to hear. Yeah. A little something different. Um, now, okay. All right. So he starts singing about violence towards women, especially this one woman and how she's stuck in this abusive relationship. And shouldn't she be with him? He'd be a lot better. He could take her out of it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh okay so all right now I I said I think he's going for something and that he's talking about domestic violence like at all which I mean he, I think in the song he calls it toxic he talks about how he whatever partner she's with he's drinking he's like putting her down he's abusing her shouldn't she be with him he wouldn't have done that um so. Talking about trying to leave, but he doesn't quite close the circle for me, Coop. So he's talking about domestic violence and like shedding a light on it, which is I well first is a lot for male artists to do in the eighties at all. But he sort of he sort of switched it and is looking at it from the point of view of he'd be so much better than her than him. She should be with him. So he's sort of using he's sort of centering himself in the song where I think really it needs to center whatever woman character he's singing about, which is going to be done better by women artists, obviously like Dolly Parton, Tori Amos, the chicks would do a better job of it. I see what he's going for lyrically. I don't think it quite connects, but like you said, it's, is he shining a light on these social ills? And whereas the previous song is kind of going over all these things. This one, he comes really like localized. He's talking about the specific relationship and using that to talk wider about like problems in relationships, violence in relationships, that sort of thing. Um, so I think lyrically, he's going for something. And I think, and I appreciate that. And I really, I give him props for that. It doesn't quite like fully close off for me lyrically. But I think, you know, but it's still the fact they did it at all is, is uh, interesting. Yeah, um, I agree with a lot of what you're saying here, but I think I have a different spin too that makes maybe give some shit where you talk yeah. about this closing. But I think the loop's not closed a little differently. So, mm-hmm. love the horns. You nailed everything about the lyrics, right? This is told. This is a kind of a narrative. He's like kind of talking to someone. 
in this about and it's the, the person he's talking to is in this abusive relationship, right? Mm-hmm. But this is a weird song, right? This whole so, so let me kind of go. Let me kind of go. Let me kick and say it. it's a weird song. But if we were at the media compound, right, and no one had ever heard this song, and I'm playing it in the background, right? Yes. Do you have any notion that this song is about violence, uh, you know, domestic abuse and something like that? <laughs> no, right? No. So you have this serious theme overlaid with the lyrics, "Na na na na, lady, look at your hands." I mean, it's it, it, it's the yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's something that it is. Yeah. It, there's some. I don't know if he wrote the music to this. I, my thing is, I think he wrote the music to this first, and then somehow folded okay. these lyrics in because. It doesn't mm. jive with me right now. I like the song. Don't get me wrong, but there's this, the music and the lyrics don't connect in this song to me at all. It, it's too. That, it's, yeah, it's not melancholy enough. <laughs> OK, it, it needs no. to be a little bit of melancholiness in this. Um, But that being said, I like it's a catchy. Then, you know, it's got that kind of it's the music's very catchy in this song. I mean, but again, you would not notice unless you put this song on and started listening to the lyrics of this, like what this song is really about. So that's that why is I think a great with... point. Yeah, that's a great think, point. It I'm almost not dinging, needs. I'm not, dinging, a... I'm not dinging him for this. I'm just saying yeah. that's where I think this comes from. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, yeah, I mean you're definitely right. It's an excellent point. And I and, th- and hearing you say that, I'm thinking like, would this song have been better if the arrangement was closer to a father figure than to this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like and slowing I... it. Like yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe if I took these this music, like I don't. I'm sure he could have come up with completely separate set of lyrics to match this song. Is what I'm saying. It's in, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic he puts in here. Um, I'm not like I said. I think it's this. It it took a lot of balls to do this. I'm just gonna say that. But, yes. But yeah. But you're right. It gets lost. Like you have to really listen to it to know what, what's the, going on. The story on. gets lost because of that that background music. Yeah. Or that music, you know, the melody that's going on here. That's fascinating because because I, I could I could see that he has an arrangement he really likes, but he's like, man, I don't want to get rid of these lyrics because I I really like where I'm going with the song. Yeah, let's just put them together. Let's just put them together and, and make something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I can see it is dancing. A bit of a, I can see people dancing on a dance floor to this song. Right. Even. Yeah, not really, not really for that. Not really what uh, this song's about, right? <laughs> No, it's good. That's a good point. Maybe that's why I'm disconnected from it as well. Is, is so, that's adding you to I, I it can for see, me? I can see that. Yeah, that's why I think that's why I kind of the disconnect happened with me. But like I said, I mean, for him to even go there at all or attempt to go there is pretty good. Like lyrically, anyway. Like he's trying something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now we're going to the track that I think we both love. So yeah. there's going to be no disagreement here. No. No. Uh, Monkey. Boom. Coop, talk us through monkey. Bam. Boom. Then it drops it. Just drops it. Listen, there's a reason why. If you want to know why this song is compared to Prince, it's produced by Listen. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who were at the time. I see. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. This Jimmy song, Jam, man. This song is the best. Like this is the best track of the album. This and Hard Day, but I think it's this one, right? It should have got a record of the year nomination. I don't know how it didn't, right? It's a great, great song, right? First of all, how can you go wrong with the title monkey? It's a great, it's a great thing. Camp. And lyrically, it's a deep song. It's it, it's about drugs, right? And Dave, this is the song that put me over the top with this album. I was doing my internship at IBM uh, in between junior and senior year of college, and I had a sixty-six mile commute every day, right? Because it was too expensive mm. to live in the area where I was. So I had a it was cheaper to drive, right? It sucked. I was in two hours every day in traffic. 
Ah. This song, this song comes on the radio, and I'm like, "Is this George Michael?" Like, and I'm like, and then, yeah, I went back Ooh. home that night, like, and went to Sam Goody and bought the Faith on CD. Ah. This song to me, I it blew me away. I never get tired of it. It's it's the best song. It's one of the best songs George Michael's ever done. Um, wow, it, it kind of fits in with this side, which is a little more social conscious. The side is now right, but what a what a song. Um, I think it was placed perfect as the on the original mm-hmm. album was the second to last. I think it was the perfect placement for this. Um, mm-hmm. how does thing get? I, how does thing get a record of the year nomination? Is the Grammy should be ashamed of themselves same with father mm-hmm. figure how that one didn't get get it either but we'll mm-hmm. leave it at the, but the album they took care of the album yeah i just love this song i i can't get enough of this song great song i think my first note is this track is amazing and very prince um it was it, came, which, it was minneapolis sound it was a minneapolis yeah sound which, yeah which you know like you said coop's learning i'm learning because i didn't know that jimmy jam section yeah. of it so that's yeah. great dirty sexy some great Pop funk, not to go against George, who said this wasn't a pop record. Um, <laughs> very catchy, very catchy, Coop. Like you said, it's a killer track. I think it's it's the way why it's perfectly placed is that you need the side needed another track to pick it up. Like you start off well with that banger um, on the on the the first track. Of the side, hard day is a great opening track, and then you get into these like socially conscious songs, and the ones that live disconnected. You're like, well, what's kind of going on? So you needed so- you needed another track to kind of jump in there and sort of stabilize things, and get back, get back, get the record back on track. And and this song really does it. I think it's just a great song. It's just yeah. it's so catchy, Coop. Yeah, and to give George Michael credit, he like I said, most of this album was produced on his own. Um, yes. He did bring in Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, um, who was starting to build up. They had just done the year before uh, Herb Albert and Janet Jackson's Diamonds. They were yes. big. They had just done the whole Janet Jackson Control album. They were red hot. Yes. He brought them in. Jimmy Jam was definitely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To bring them in and for this track, which to me, a very funk driven track. Oh. Um, it is, you know. I, this song was, you know, in the dance clubs, they they did a remix of this song. It wasn't as good, right? It, this is no. not one. The remix was terrible. It wasn't even a good dance song. But but th- but this one is a funky type of song. Um, and according to the other thing I'll just say is this: he was inspired by a friend using drugs. That's how. Mm. And I think eventually he did have his own drug problems, but he did eventually. Yeah, eventually did. But but he said it was a friend who uh, was doing drugs and. Um, that's what the monkey was all about with the drugs. It was it was a metaphor for that. Not a great track. Yeah. And then we get to the final track of the record. Uh, we'll get to the CD bonus. The final track, Kissing a Fool, which I think is a good closing track. It comes out, Coop, out of nowhere in the sense that, like, we just had monkey. We have all this stuff. And then it's like a jazz track. And you're like, huh? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um. But it's a great closer. Like it has a sweet jazz, and his vocal suits that suits it really well. I think great jazz vocal. Uh, I mean, his vocal could suit anything really. Um, it's about a relationship that'll never be, and kind of regret from that. Michael uh, George Michael has said in interviews post this that he did this vocal in one take a cappella, <laughs> like just like rocked into the studio and did it. Is what he said. 
which is pretty good. Um, if that is accurate. Yeah, uh, I think I've heard that too, by the way. One take. Just like there you go. Um no, it's it's a great it's a, I like it a lot. It's 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 really interesting. I think why I like it as a closing track, even though it kind of like jumps out at you as like what's going on, is it's fresh, you kind of piques your interest again. And when you're done with it, I'm like, if this was vinyl, when I'm done with it, I'm like, I want to flip it over and listen to this record again, which I think is always the key to a good closing track. Uh, which is why I like it as a closing. What do you? I mean, what do you think of the song? It's kind of uh, out of nowhere, isn't it? Really, like to go yeah. jazz all of a sudden. Yeah, supper club vibe was what came to me. I felt like yeah, I was yeah, in yeah, su- yeah. a jazzy yeah, yeah, yeah. supper club vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the relationships theme comes up again in this song, so it's a little out of place with the previous three tracks, right? Um, but there's something interesting about this song I want to mention. So, the voice, the, the vocals, a big key here, right? I remember, I remember, I, I, this song. I always got hooked on this song after I got the album. And do you remember when, a few years later when they did the Freddie Mercury tribute concert and George Michael delivered yes. that performance of yes. "Somebody Don't Love"? Yes, 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 yes. Which, but, yes. Uh, I'll talk about that in a set. But this, when I heard that, it took me somehow back to this song. Right? There's something yeah, about okay. the vocal that was very Freddie Mercury like mm. on this song. Right? Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, and it kind of, I, it, the songs are different, but that the delivery of the vocal was very similar. I even was saying after that performance that he did with, with Queen, like, why aren't they considering George Michael maybe as a replacement, right? Because oh, yep. eventually they went, first they went with Paul Rogers, who's very, I thought Paul Rogers did a good job. And then after that, I, I asked the question again, because this one, by the time Paul Rogers had left, Michael's career was in a bigger decline. I'm like, this would be mm-hmm. a perfect way to resurrect his, his career. They end up going out at Lambert, right? Who's done a good job with yeah. it. But, but he has done a good job. I'll say that. But but I always wonder, I think George Michael, I don't think he, I don't think he would have been able to work with Queen would be the problem. But he would have been yes. perfect as a, as a Queen vocalist. Now I think he, the delivery, and it goes all back, the delivery of the, vo- this is some of the best vocals he delivers on this album mm-hmm. and on this song. And that's why I'm if I'm referencing Freddie Mercury, there's a reason because Freddie Mercury was an incredible vocalist, and I'm putting George Michael right up there with that. Well, it's that it's that theatricality of the vocal, isn't it? Like if, if George Michael can get very theatrical, you know, can get really bigger than life with the vocal, yep. uh, which a lot of people can't do. Yeah. Um, like like his vocal is just large. Like like he could do this whole song, this whole record could be a cappella, and it would still be amazing. It'd be interesting if he did this all on my. Like if he did the monkey, I well no, I've heard versions of the monkey acapella. Some of I gotta and, do that. Yeah, they the remix actually has a verse with acapella. That's why so, it is very interesting that you say that the remix. That's the only part of the remix that's good is it is the acapella where he sings the first verse with it. God, yeah. it's so good. This yeah. vocal's so good. Yeah. Um, and it's so much range in it. Like I mean. He's doing funk and pop and jazz on the same record. It's just like killing it. Yeah, you know? Know, he is. He is. Uh. And don't like, forget this album started with an acoustic guitar. Keep that in mind. This is how we kicked it off. Right. And we get we get to this, this point. Yeah, that's yeah. Because this this track with the lesser artist could seem like really cheesy, you know? Like you're saying the supper club vibe, it could be cheap. But here it's like it's like, like it really it's really good. Like it's yeah. really honest still and yeah. You could you get the vibe too that like he must have listened to some jazz vocal growing up and he's like, Oh, I can't I'm gonna definitely have a jazz song on my record. Sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, 
Now, on I CD, there are two two bonus. Go ahead. Oh, do you I have something to, else? I forgot to put my notes on this last one, but I have notes. Don't worry. That's right. Hey. Okay. You just wing it, Coop. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I have it. I know what it is. Yeah. There's two. There's a remix of Hard Day, so you won't get into that because, like, whatever. And then there's a last request, which is I want your sex part three. Now, in an interview, he said that I want your sex is like in three parts, like it's a trilogy. Uh, now, what now? So so this is why it's on here. And then I can see um, how this is a final part of the trilogy. It sort of like brings everything down and it's sort of like, you know, wrapping up the trilogy of that. Um, I can see how it's left off the vinyl, too. Like it. It seemed a bit unfinished to me, Coop. I don't know why, but it seemed a bit like maybe he could have done a bit more with it lyrically. Maybe it just seemed it just didn't seem to have the strength of a lot of the other songs. Um, and so I can see how it's relegated to the CD. But it's interesting that like he wants this trilogy of songs, but it's not on side B like properly. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it just seems a little bit unfinished. And he just sort of like threw it in as a bonus track to me. I don't know. What do you think of the song? Yeah, or the kinda, last request. I, yeah. Both of them, I agree. Uh, Hard Day and the Last Request were. Um, um, I think they were they were put in to just add to the CD. Yeah, now, I'll say this. I I thought of the I thought this was my favorite of the trilogy, but I I agree. With what All right, think. yeah. But I do agree with what you're saying. It 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 it, it uh it seemed very rough and unfinished and unpolished, right? And I think it was put in simply to have some more material on the CD. Um, yeah, I mean. I could see this happens with CDs is like, yeah, I could see maybe he was like kept working on it. And he's like, I can't really get it to where I like it. Uh, But we got a version of it. We'll throw on the CD, but I'm not going to put it on the album. Like I could see him making that sort of artistic decision. Like maybe he wasn't 100 percent on it. Yeah. But like we got the room. So we'll just put it on there. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what exactly what it was with that. Um, probably just didn't have another, but, but and I don't. I gotta look. I don't know if this song ever made it. Um, I don't know if it ever made it onto a B side. That's what I was trying. Oh, to I would, I would be surprised. Yeah, I mean, maybe. It. That's. I'm not sure of the answer with that. That's a good one. If it did, I'm just seeing if it did make it to a B side on one of these, because it had it had the feeling, Dave, of a B side. To me, that's how it felt like. It felt like more of a B-side. It, to me, yeah. it had a feeling of an idea for a song that wasn't done. Yeah. You know? Like, maybe the song you kick around with in the studio, and you're, you're trying to, like, get it there, you just can't. Like, that's what it sort of felt like to me. Yeah. Um, I was looking to see if it was released on... I can't find it, though. So, uh... I do know I want your sex. There was some re- there was some remixes done of it yeah. too. There was a lot of remixes done of it, but that's what it felt like to me. It felt like more like a B side put on as yeah. a, as a bonus track. It wasn't like Phil Collins as we said hello goodbye here. That's what I'm kind of going with. No, right? yeah. well, I mean, there, there's a definite reason it wasn't on a vinyl. I mean, there's a reason he's cutting the vinyl and he's like, yeah, well, this ain't going on it. Yeah, like there's a definite reason there. Um, but yeah, but I mean. But he threw it on the CD, so I think it was important to cover it just because it kind of closes the loop of this trilogy that he wanted to do with that song. Agree. Final thoughts on the record, Coop. Where where you land on it? Um, look, I think it's a fantastic album. Um, mm. like I said, it was an album that took me a, a little longer to uh, to really um, get get my hook, get my my fist on with this, so to speak. 
Mm -hmm. Um, a couple mm -hmm. comments I wanted to make. Um, first is like I think I mentioned this came a long way from uh, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" the Whammer. Yes, right? it does. Uh, it totally, it totally did. Um, with that, so that was my first comment. With that, um, th the second thing is that this was um. In 1989, it won the Grammy, right, for best album. Yep. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to, I want to just tell you what it beat out, and I want to. Oh yeah, because I, you, you, you touched on this that it's a weak field. Yeah. So you're gonna like one of these. All right. So, <laughs> so okay, the first go. one is the Tracy Chapman debut album. I know you love that one. Yeah, but I, but in in all in all fairness, right, that debut record has maybe like three banger tracks, and the right. rest are just kind of like forgetful. Yeah. Yep. So, so I can I can see that. Yep. Yep. Uh, Bobby McFerrin's "Simple Pleasures." Okay. Which I only think Bobby McFerrin he won Record of the Year because it was George Bush's favorite song. Don't worry, be happy. Okay. Oh, that God. was why he yeah. won won the Record of the Year. No. Okay. Bob, okay. I'm sorry. Like nothing against Bobby. That was not album of material. That was a weak pick, right? No. No. Sting's Sting has um a second album. So um, nothing like the sun. This, it was nothing like a dream of the blue turtles. Yeah, no, not as not a good no. album. No, no. And love this artist. This was his follow up to uh, back in the high life. Steve Wynn was roll with it. Not as good no. as, as so. This was an easy win. That's what I'm not a strong field. Not, not a strong, strong not field. a strong field at all. Right. Um, and then it gets worse the year after Dave when Bonnie Raitt wins album of the year, beating out some good Ooh. albums. When Bonnie Raitt beat out some good albums. That we'll talk about that another time. Bonnie Ray right. steals the steals it over every one of the other four albums out there. Like, like how she got right. it. They, there had to be a bribe. There had to be a bribe for her to win album of the year over the who she beat out in ninety. Right. This was not the case. This was absolutely the album of the year here. With this. now, Coop it, and I like, but we like Bonnie Ray. But I don't know what she has on the Grammy voters. <laughs> She's no, on the Grammy. She, she beat out the Wilburys, Tom Petty, Don Henley, Ooh. and the Fine Young Cannibals. What a really good album that year! How do you beat out those four artists? Like those were four uh, better yeah. albums than Nick of Time, right? So, <laughs> Nick of Time. But but Faith only got two Grammy nominations. Yeah, I was, well, that's a. I again, it, I'm like, and the only other one it got was for Father Figure for Best Male Vocal. That was That's it. Crazy. That's that crazy. That's crazy. It sold 25 million copies. It, it sold, and it was look at the <laughs> lyrics like, in this album. Like, look at the stuff he was doing in this album, right? I I don't know. Um, Did they hold it against him because maybe they felt? I don't know, but it was to me it got robbed here. So, and then you know my pain. I think side two is stronger than side one, but that's not a knock on side one. Side one's very yeah. good. I just love side two a lot. That's what. Yeah. Well, this is like this is the perfect album archaeology because you have a big fan of side two and you have a big fan of side one. I think this. Well, I the, think we should the, say the, uh, the side. That, this the was record. very. Yeah, Dave. We think we should say this was a very well laid out album. I think that he. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. How Definitely. he went with the social stuff on side two. I think it was. I think it was well laid out. This album. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still have the first three tracks are fire for me. First three tracks of this record are just amazing. They're good tracks. Yeah, they're very good. Tracks. Um. I think Faith and I Want Your Sex Part 1 still hold up pretty well. Uh, part 2 does not. Um, and I think in doing this and really talk, I'm glad we did this. We've been wanting to do this record for a little while. And I'm glad we did it because it, even just doing the show, Coop, like it, it, I see his solo career in a, in a different light than before I did it, if you know what I mean. Like I have a greater appreciation for him. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, look, his follow-up album, Listen Without Prejudice, is a very good yeah. album, too, by the way. It didn't Freedom quite 90, s- man. Yeah. Oh, Freedom 90. Oh, my goodness. We, yeah. that's a, I don't, We have to break that song down uh, <laughs> at that point. But um, it's also, you know, it didn't sell as well as Faith. I get it. But it also was a very good album. Um, and look, we go back again, Dave. 23 years old, he recorded this album. That's I mean, nuts. this is, we don't think when, when, when I didn't think of George Michael as only a, he was only three years older than me and delivering a, an nuts. album like this. You know, we, this is one of the great youth albums that came out, you know, and he died very young, George Michael, 53 years old. He died. I mean, I'm older than him right now. It's like, yep. that's haunting, you know, and, and it's a shame we lost this guy. Um, mm. Um, I think he would have still. I think he would have had a second comeback. I think he would. Oh, I definitely would have. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, too good. Too too talented. This guy. And, and the end of his career, unfortunately, I think his life. I think there were things he wasted away. Unfortunately. Well, I think I think if he was in a more if he if he came out in a more accepting time, I think a lot of those problems with the end of his career wouldn't have happened because a lot of it was around not coming out really. Um, and not being accepted as, as a gay man and that sort of thing. You like, know, I was, think if, if yeah. You got to remember in the 80s, right? Everyone was afraid of AIDS. That was, mm. and unfortunately, if you were, uh, it was a horrible time for if you were homosexual. You were kind of like mm. a pariah, and it was a horrible time in our society with that. Um, When George Michael came out as gay, I'm like, just keep making good music was what I said. That was my, I, you know, I'm because, you know, I don't, I don't, his personal life is his personal life. That's not for me to judge that. Yeah. Um, but, what I, yeah, I, uh, I like, yeah, it, it's just it's yeah. I mean, and I think, too, because I think people are like, well, why? Why is he going to the Hall of Fame? I mean, just look at this record. It had the sales. It had the writing. You could definitely see on this record influences to like a bunch of male R&B artists moving forward and like modern R&B. It's uh, it's I mean, this record alone should get him in the Hall of Fame, let alone the Wham stuff. And the He had three the, huge three albums with Wham. Yeah, he had three huge albums with Wham, two big solo albums. Uh, five's enough for me to get him in. Um, it, but and yeah. like you said, if definitely. you look 1984 to 19, I'll even stretch it to 1988, there was no one bigger. George Michael was the biggest no. thing in the music business. He, he was asked by Aretha Franklin to do a song with her. That's crazy. Elton brought him in. Elton brought him in, right? Yes. Then, you know, uh, and then they had their, you know, then they had their little problems, right? And, um, but mm-hmm. Elton always seems to have problems with the people he meet. Like they always say, Elton because friend, your best friend Elton's one got day, problems. And, yeah, and then suddenly, yeah. yeah so I, there's always two sides to every story. Um, but my, but, yeah, but, but I mean, yeah. Can you imagine at like 22, right? Which is what he would have been, 22, 23, having Elton John and Aretha Franklin like, hey, do you want to do a song with me? Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah, Aretha Franklin. That song's great. Oh, oh, oh my God! That and then that's when we first saw, by the way, George Michael with the sunglasses was actually that look was in that video. That's when we saw that look for the first well, time. He said it, he he said he wore them a lot because there was so much. Because in Wham, he could kind of like hide behind Andrew a lot, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but he said when he did the solo album, there was so much press and stuff that he felt really uncomfortable, like solo. So he'd wear them to sort of hide behind the sunglasses, sort of thing. And it turned to this look. If you watch you know? Purple Rain, Dave, there's um, a scene where Prince is like with Apollonia for the first time, and he's hiding behind the sunglasses. 
It's it's I'm not I'm just saying sunglasses are often used to hide behind something, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it it uh you know it looked so cool. Yeah. You know, the other thing I want to say about George Michael, and this came out in the Wham documentary really good. I don't know how much you saw of it, but Wham actually when Wake Me Up Before You Go Go came, that was off the second album. Make it yes. big. But they yes. were huge. They had hit it huge already in Europe with the Fantastic album, which was their first one. It was that second one that brought them to the U.S. And the idea of make it big was they wanted to make it big internationally. And mm. they didn't do a lot of touring in the U.S. as Wham. I think there was only one U.S. tour that they did. And it was I think it was 85. I didn't go to it. Yeah. Right? Um, but it was huge. It was a huge tour. So um, I don't I don't remember a lot of big George, George. I'm trying to remember the George Michael tour schedule. I don't remember it as much. Oh, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't. Have, I don't know yeah. how she toured solo with this. And that's a good if our audience knows I, I got a good one. But yeah. Um, This was a good album. This is a really great album. It's, it's, <sighs> it's I'm glad he's got it. It would have been a crime if he didn't get in the Hall of Fame on a first ballot. Oh, yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'll be excited to see what the feedback is from the listeners on this. Uh, record. Who inducts him, Dave? Who inducts him? And I, I hope it's. I wonder if Andrew. I, if it's not and why wouldn't it be Andrew? It should be Andrew. It should absolutely be Andrew. There's no one else that should. It goes Andrew. I mean, are they going to get? Doesn't want to. Yeah, I mean, they apparently say, like when Andrew when George died. Andrew did all the TV shows, and was well, just, Andrew. They were still, they were still like connecting, getting together and stuff up until his death. Like I think it was, I think Andrew was saying the last time he met with them, they would play Scrabble together. Apparently, yeah, yeah, uh, I heard the that last too. The last time he met with them was like a like a month or so before he died. So they were still pretty. They were still pretty tight, pretty close. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're schoolboy friends. I mean you, you hope it's Andrew, don't you? I mean it, I do. It's anyway. gotta be. It's gotta be Andrew. I mean unless they get someone, unless. I don't, you know, like Fred. I don't know. I don't know. They're, not, they're not gonna do. It's not gonna be Elton, right? It's not gonna be. No, Elton. I wouldn't make it Elton. It's gotta be. It's, it's gotta, gotta be Andrew. Andrew. It's gotta be Surely. Andrew. I mean, it would be disappointing if it's not Andrew. But uh, yeah, yeah. But never disappointing is the new music forty-five. Cool. Yeah. Well, why don't? Well, before we get to that, let's let's talk about our cigar. This cigar, man. I don't know if it's, yeah. it's. I'm talking and stuff. Look how much I got left. Huh? Look at that! It's huge. For okay, for that's a, got, for a press cigar, it does burn slow. I will say that, but there is a lot. Oh, left. it's great though. Yeah, it's 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 creamy. It's got a it's got great like, I got like honey notes and stuff off it. It's got a good punch. Yeah, which you expect from an LFD, but um, it's it's an excellent cigar. Like it's really good. Construction's amazing. Yeah, that's a good for a TAA cigar. Right? LFD just doesn't miss with a TAA. No. They do a great job with that. It's TAA. got all those. It's got all those hallmarks of LFD that you like. Like like it's punchy, it's big, but it's, it's got some really good nuanced flavor to it. It's very good. No, no, I'm glad you like that. What, one. Uh, what? How's the fourteenth? Really good. Um, first half Ooh. better than the second half. It's a very rich Nicaraguan puro. So you're gonna get it that looks rich, rich by the get that rich tobacco taste, right? Now the second half's gotten a little Oof. bitter and there's a little metallic note, so it's lost a little. It's not overpowering those notes. I'm gonna chalk this up for a pre-release from the PCA. Um, I think you yes. will like this cigar. I think it's a very uh, 
it's a more traditional type of smoke than maybe if you think of Room 101 as an edgy type of smoke. This is not okay. that. Okay, right, tra- yes. It's a very traditional smoke. Um, medium, Ooh, medium strains, like little medium plus on the body. Um, like I said, this cigar was dragged through the desert with 14% humidity on a plane. Uh, it's only had a couple of days in my humidor. I don't. That's why I don't review these cigars. But smoking one in the air to get a, like what Dojo would call a first impression. Um, mm, mm. um, really, really good cigar. And um, the well, I'll just say this: construction's been fantastic. I have a slight little jag on the burn, but that's user that's user piece. Not uh, drawers impeccable. Yeah. So, uh, if you're learning about quality of construction with STG, nothing's been lost here. But uh, but it's it's good. It's a good. I think you'll yeah. like this cigar, Dave. And I think with a little time in the humidor, it'll even be better. Ooh, and I think and, and for listeners out there, Coop and I aren't too harsh on construction or burn issues and stuff when we do a show because we're putting the cigars down for a while when we talk and picking them up. And putting yeah, them down. I, I have air conditioning so, down yeah. here. Yeah, so we we um, don't really it, ding them all that much. We don't, unless it's really bad, right? So uh, unless yeah. it's canoeing or something like that, or you know. But that's there's no cases with that. This is. This is a very good cigar by Matt. Um, he didn't. They did a nice job with this cigar, considering where it's been dragged through. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, shout out to Matt Boots on this one. Nice, nice cigar. Yeah. Shout out to LFT man. That cigar is really good. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed that one. I think I. So more they have a natural and a Maduro in this, or just a natural? Yeah, I'll this? send you. A, I have yeah, both. I'll send you a Maduro. I think the natural oh, and the, the Maduro, Maduro are just both like, really good. Whew. I think they're both really good. So I don't think you'll miss one with either one of them. Like That's when it comes to punch, TAA, man. like look, when it comes to the TAA, I never have to worry about LFD. They deliver. They mm-hmm. put a lot of effort into the blends, and it shows. Uh, it's a little kick on that cigar, so but I think it's aged out a bit. That, there it is. More, yeah, I think it's aged out a bit. So, so Ooh, aged out, man. When it was off the truck, that thing must have been strong. Stick of dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Whew. Based on the oral blend, which is strong. Yeah. Whoo! Good cigar though. Uh New Music 4 to 5 brought to you by Cigar Hustler, who, you know, Mike, man. Yeah. He's, uh, I saw some pictures of him at, uh, he's beefy, man. He looks oh, like part dude. of the security detail. Dude, he looked like, yeah. Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, he actually did come to the, he was one of the few guys that did come out to the compound. Um, we, like I said, did we, he? I, yeah, he was, like I said, he did come out with his crew. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I actually went to sleep early. I was so tired. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time with them. But they were out of the house, and uh, they always come out. And they, uh, he came out with uh, his. There were two other guys he came out with him. Um, oh, it was, it was his brother and Phil, the camera. Not Palmer. Guy. Yeah, Palmer wasn't there. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Palmer, I think he had some other commitments. All right. Um, but they were yeah. representing. Uh, yeah, Cigar Hustler was at the media compound, and, and they're always welcome. Um, and um, of course they have their store in Deltona, Florida. Uh, definitely get in there. They have uh, if you get down That's there, right. go there. It's a must-go uh, destination. You won't be disappointed. Uh, there's some great stores in Florida, and that's certainly up there. No, great customer service, great humidor, great lounge. Um, if you can't get there, get on their email list. Go follow them on social media because they drop a lot of their limiteds that way. And you you don't want to snooze. Do. You don't want to snooze on your limiteds with them. They they go. They put them out there, and they go. So. Um, definitely want to. And check. you know what? What they yeah. got right now, what they got right now is they got some uh, Roma Craft Fomorians. So you want to get on that? Yeah, I've gotten some already because those go quick. And Coop, they're starting to get in the new Las Calveras. They have the like fifty, I think. 
Oh, so okay. That's starting, to, that's starting to make that's it's shipped out. It's starting yeah. to to pop up on sites now. Yeah, we oh, by the way, we had a great visit with Huber at the show. Um, really great visit with him. So Bear did an interview with him. That will be coming up as well. So and with Mike, he did an interview with Mike as well. Oh, okay, um, that's yeah. good. So oh got, yeah, yep. So uh, in fact, on Bear's most anticipated top five list for cigars, uh. Hustler, they have the Postani brand. He had the Postani Connecticut tie at number one with with the Volstead Skips Intemperance Volstead. Oh, so interesting. Uh, Bear was very Bear loves his Connecticut's. Um, I think I know what Bear's <laughs> cigar of the year is going to be, but it's, um, I don't know if it'll be that one because it comes out too late in the year. But yeah, Bear loves his Connecticut. So yeah, definitely oh, check well. these guys out. Great guys, um, mm. and uh, oh, and oh, they have coop shirts. They they opened the coop shirts. Uh, oh, they, nice! They opened up the coop shirts. Uh, and I just feel bad I didn't have one for Phil. I promise Phil he's getting the first cut of one next time because Phil's a great guy. I met Phil; he's awesome. Uh, so I felt bad. I, didn't, I just didn't have another shirt. Uh, I, I this, it wouldn't have fit him. Mike wanted an extra large. <laughs> I don't know why because he's like, but he says I like Mike. Tight. <laughs> Mike, man. I'm telling you, yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's getting ready for a Marvel movie or something. Like, <laughs> the guy is look, they had, yoked. they had Guy Fieri was doing a walking tour of the show floor, mm. and they and Eric brought in Juan Cancel to be security. Now, you may say Juan can't, Juan Cancel is a police, you know, former police, uh... right? And and Juan, look, when Juan was on security detail, he was not the Juan you know. He he reminded mm-hmm. me a little of Turtle from Entourage, but he was very serious on that detail. He he, he didn't believe me. Don't try to sneak in. Juan would stop you, right? Juan <laughs> did a, and then when Guy Fieri left, Juan turned into Crazy Juan, right? But you know, I could <laughs> you put Mike in there with Juan, that would have been some uh, some combination well, of security, yeah. And I gotta say, this is an aside, right? And then I'll get into the music, yeah. But isn't it great to see Guy at the show, like promoting? Like he's done so much promotion for that cigar. Oh, he did. He did. Uh, he did a. He, this time he did a walking tour of the shore. So he got. He went great. to the other booths this time, as opposed to him being in the Espinosa booth. Which, uh, look, had big, big shout out to the Espinosa team for doing that. That was a great thing they yep. did. Um, and so allowed people. You know, you didn't. You know, they, instead of having him in the booth the whole time, he did a walking tour this time. Um, we did meet Chaz Palmateri and we did Bear has an both Bear and I did that. Saw that. So we have the interview coming up with Chaz, who was a, a great guy as well. Um so um he's not as into cigars as, as Guy, but he loves the industry and he loves what it represents. And you'll it'll come out in that interview why he did this cigar and all that. I'm not gonna steal the thunder of that. But um Oopers. but yeah, he, but he was it was great to see him as well. Uh, Ferguson Jenkins, the Hall of Fame pitcher, was there. We yes, I saw that. We saw we, him. Do a Hector tried with, to hook uh, us up, but we were gone already from the party. We had to go somewhere else. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so there was some. It was nice to see some star power. There was I. I Taylor was there, who used to play for the Steelers. Leon oh, Cersei, right. who played for the Jaguars, was there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's had, a big cigar guy. Yeah. 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 So, um, so good job with with all that. Yeah. Coop hobnobbing, getting pictures with Guy and with Chaz. Just I didn't get like... any picture with Guy this time, but because we, like I said, Guy was, we had a chance with Guy before, so we, but he was doing yeah. a walking tour this time. And so it was a little guy, guy had, Guy had his chance meeting you, I think is what I heard. Guy's like, I got a picture with Coop. That's what I hear. Yeah. Um. I also shout out to Hector Alfonso. He threw a great, uh, 
one I've been complaining about the cocktail parties, but Hector's was really good. <laughs> had the media there. Um, they had more food than in other places. Um, and then later on, some of the industry people popped in, like Saka, Skip, and all these guys. So, um, I, uh, that's gonna be a tradition according to Hector going forward. I I don't want to you know, I don't want to cast aspersions, but when I think of uh, you know, Mister Warmth, I don't think like wow, he could throw a good cocktail party. Well, like, it was it was it was Espinosa <laughs> style. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't. You, look, he had pizza right instead of like <laughs> like toothpick food. So, and and I said. I he said you should have more food, but at the same time, the pizza was the most food we had in any of these these cocktail hours. We, yeah. we were going to dinner afterwards with all these. This one we we didn't ah. go to dinner afterwards, so uh, we were kind of at, at that point full. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, new music, Coop. Here we go. All Let's right, start off with it. Side A, Taylor Swift. I have mine. That's off of the Speak Now Taylor's version. Yep. Um, I think it shows the most modernized. I think it's the most modernized of the records. Way stronger vocal, way more pop forward, and I think yep. you can see it a lot on this song. So check that out. Side B, here you go, Coop Willie Nelson. Yeah, Willie Nelson put put out a new record. Yeah. So we got "Left Me a Long, Long Time Ago." This is a off of his upcoming record, Bluegrass. Yep. Where he's gonna have a mix of. Original songs and then bluegrass remixes of older tracks. Like, he's going to do a bluegrass version of On the Road Again. So it's just good to see Willie coming out with new stuff. And uh, the album archaeology homework, I have Dolly Parton, The Grass is Blue. So it reminds me, the reason is Willie's reminded me of Dolly because Dolly did a bluegrass record in 1999, which mm-hmm. sort of yeah. marked her comeback. So it's sort of this history of like, country artists doing bluegrass records so it was re- kind of reminded me of that so check that out check out yeah. uh grass is blue absolutely that's uh, i forgot about that one the grass is blue good one dave willie is still making records willie is still willie close to 90 now oh he's gotta be i'm gonna look I that up. Be like what 91 he he has gotta be if he's not 90 he's gotta be close oh what is it's all that potty smoking. It's keeping him young. Uh, it's a pot. Uh, Willie Nelson is ninety. He just Ooh. turned ninety years young this year. And there's original tracks on this record too, so it's not like he's just playing the hits. No, whatever. not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, he uh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, he uh, definitely is. You know, um, you know, definitely has had a big, you know, big couple of years. I mean. Think of this. Think of it like this, Coop. All right. Willie Nelson's putting out a record in 2023, right? He wrote songs for Patsy Cline. <laughs> like, that's insane. Oh, my God. Oh, my that's God. unbelievable. That is that is crazy. Um, that, is, <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. Um, you know, and um, we were, you know, we were looking at the whole Hall of Fame thing. Uh, and he, you know, he got in. Yeah, well, he's foundational or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, he 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 uh he got it was the first time he was nominated and got in. Well, so, yeah, it's Willie uh, Nelson. Yeah, it's Willie Nelson. But yeah, I mean, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Again, I look at it, take the Rock and Roll out of it. He's a Hall of Famer, and that's the most important Hall. Of oh Famer. yeah, come yeah. on. So if people are gonna get on Willie about that, he absolutely is a Hall of Famer, belongs there. So, yep. 
Well, that's that's all I got, Coop. That's the show, man. That's all I got as well. Um, well, thanks to our audience for tuning in. Like I said, if you're watching, go uh, go right over to Developing Palettes Facebook page, and if you're watching live, go up and watch the the recap show live. Um, if you are watching on replay, go back and you can go to the Developing Palettes page and watch watch the replay as well. I'm sure it's gonna be a lively show. <laughs> uh, Dave and I will announce the next show and timing uh very soon on our social media. So stay tuned for that. And that's it. So it's going to wrap up Primetime Jukebox episode 104 into the annals of history for this mid-July 2023. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody.